This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. of campaigning it is almost over not quite there are still polls closing and uh, there are still votes being counted but uh, this is going to be an incredible four hours of election analysis and believe it or not and I know this will come as a great relief to a good many of you for the next four hours I am going to speak less than I ever have on almost any program that I've done I am going to largely be a facilitator of conversation for the next four hours you're going to be hearing from hard-boiled veterans of the political process and the governmental process people who've run campaigns people that have won elections people that have lost elections folks that have studied them written about them we're going to give you an opportunity to ask questions of them as well. You can call in 800-848-9222. There are two things that I want you to keep in mind, not only in the next four hours, but over the next 24 hours, the next two years. One is after tomorrow, whether your candidates won, whether they lost, all of the folks who voted differently than you are, and I know this may sound a little bit like a cliche, but it happens to be true, they're all still Americans. They're still your neighbors, and you shouldn't view them as enemies to be destroyed, but people that you work with, people that you see at the gym, people that you go to the grocery store with. And if we continue, if you view them as enemies to be destroyed, if we continue down this path of hyper-tribalism, the country's going to be in a bad place. The other thing to keep in mind is that if you're on the winning side or the losing side tomorrow we're all still facing a huge problem with inflation people are still having a tough time paying their bills we still have a huge problem with violent crime we're losing more people every year to drug overdoses than we did in the entire vietnam war and while children in china aspire to be astronauts american children who are falling farther and farther behind They're aspiring to be social media influencers. We're also getting closer and closer to nuclear war with Russia, by the way. These problems are very real and need solutions. So wherever you fall politically, let's work together to find some solutions. Lastly, I know a lot of you listen to this show for subjects that have nothing to do with politics. You might listen for aliens or movie reviews or discussions about the workplace or assassination conspiracy theories or stories about my 11-month-old son or debates about whether to use a top sheet when you go to bed or not. If you fall into that category, I'm just asking that you bear with us today. Stick around with us. We're going to have some great content. You may even learn something and come back tomorrow. Now, we're going to begin uh, the program with three distinguished gentlemen who know politics far better than I do, although there's a long list of people that fit that description. I want to welcome uh, my colleague at WABC in New York, the host of... Uh, the Anthony Weiner show slash in the middle, the co-host of Left Right and the host of the Keys to the City podcast on the Red Apple podcast network, former Democratic congressman Anthony Weiner. Hello, congressman. How are you? So is this this is it, the beginning of campaign 2024? That's, is that what we're doing now? It, that's it. At least we can skip 2023. <laughs> also want to welcome a longtime friend of mine, attorney, former Republican state assemblyman from New York City, longtime uh, Republican state assemblyman from New York City, Bob Sterneri. Bob, it's great to see you. 
And uh, I also want to welcome Dr. Frank Sorrentino, award-winning political science professor and the author of several books, including Presidential Power and the American Political System. Dr. Sorrentino, it's great to see you. Great to be with you, Frank. Uh, let me begin with uh, the news out of the governor's race. We're here in New York. A lot of the audience is in New York. And there's some races that are being called all over the country. We're going to bring people the latest, but I want to get your reaction to this. Here was uh, Governor Kathy Hochul yesterday as part of her uh, victory lap. We'll build a state where families can afford to raise their children. We'll create good-paying jobs from Long Island to the city, the Hudson Valley, the North Country, all the way to Buffalo and the Southern Tier. We'll do all that, creating good-paying jobs. We'll also give everyone what they deserve, safe, affordable housing, because that's one of their rights. And to make sure that all of our kids will succeed in school and achieve their full potential and live in communities without fear have the safety to walk the streets and take our subways without illegal guns on our streets. And this will become a place, this is a place where fundamental rights are protected and women can make their own decisions about their bodies. This is a race that seemed like it was uh, going to be awfully lopsided. And then the last month or two, we kept hearing about how tight the race was and how it was tightening and how it looked like Zeldin had a chance of pulling out a major upset. Kathy Hochul, the first elected female governor in the history of New York State, she's going to Albany for the next four years. Uh, let me go to Bob Stranieri, who spent 24 years in Albany as an elected elected official more than that as a staffer. Bob, your reaction uh, to the governor's race in New York, did you expect it to be tight? Realistically, I think we should not be surprised given the strength of the Democratic vote that comes out of the city of New York. In fact, there's no city in any state that so dominates a state as New York City does in New York State. And the demographics of the city have changed. The exodus out of people from our city and from our state certainly has hurt the getting people to vote on the Republican line. And I think that was evident today in the kind of vote that Lee Zeldin did not get in New York City. I think he did very well in the suburbs. He did very well upstate. I mean, it looks like we are electing a Republican uh, Congress people uh, in the Hudson Valley, in upstate New York, out on Long Island. Looks like we've picked up assembly seats. So I think Lee had strong coattails in Republican areas that are really going to help us, you know, rebuild the Republican Party and give us a meaningful minority status in the legislature that has been absent for quite a while. Congressman Weiner, I was listening to you on the radio last weekend. You had predicted Hochul by 10. Looks like even you uh, had uh, underestimated Hochul's electoral strength in this election. What's your reaction to this uh, gubernatorial race? Yeah, this was a brutal time to be an incumbent, it, and it was a kind of a perfect storm for Republicans in New York State. And I think Zeldin wildly underperformed. I mean, here's one way to look at it. Chuck Schumer beat Joe Pinion, who spent no money, had very little visibility against a guy who's been in the Senate for a long time, arguably the most popular elected official in New York State. Joe Pinion got 43%. Zeldin, with all that money and all that hype, got 47%. Wow. So one way to look at it is as bad as it was for Democrats, what it was really kind of a repudiation of the type of candidate that Zeldin was. He was not like Pataki. He chose to run as kind of a real bedrock hard-right Republican, a Trump anti-abortion Republican. 
I think what we learned is that there are some states, and New York is one of them, where just the numbers are just impossible to overcome. That if you want to do it, you have to run like a Stranary kind of Pataki kind of Republican who understands there are a lot of Democrats whose arm will fall off if they try voting Republican. But this was a, a rough year. I think we now have the baseline vote for, um, for, for, for Democrats, meaning this is as bad as it's going to get. And I think Kathy Hochul, if she does run again in four years, will have now four years to get, it, to get some experience under her. Um, but one way to look at this is to do the counterfactual, like what would happen if they nominated, if the Republicans nominated someone who maybe was going to get all those Republican votes, was going to still do the issue of crime, but maybe took the edge off of some of the other things that's, that so many Democrats were animated by. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting. Uh, Dr. Sorrentino, uh, you've studied elections and government for a long, long time. Uh, given the numbers that we're seeing out of New York, is is electing a Republican statewide just a thing of the past? I think uh, this year offered the best opportunity. And for them to fail and fail as uh, deeply as they did uh, is certainly disappointing, not only for this year, but for the future. Uh, I think we had a great out-migration of a lot of quasi-conservative uh, moderates uh, to other states, and that was also very critical. But I think with Zeldin, perhaps uh, his association with the anti-abortion, while clearly uh, not disqualifying I think in New York, that became uh, one of the few states in which uh, it made a difference. Lee Zeldin spoke about uh, an hour and a half ago. This is what he said as as he did not concede. He did give a little bit of a a rah-rah speech to his supporters, mentioned that there was an open bar, which scores him a lot of points in my book. Here was Congressman Zeldin. So listen, it's, uh, it's been a battle where we've been focused on ideals. We've been bringing our message without apology or regret. Uh, we came to this with a uh, passion to have a, a debate of ideas for a better direction for New York. And we're still totally uh, committed towards seeing it through. Uh, for the 1.4 million election day voters who have not yet had their vote ca- cast and counted, uh, we hope that uh, as these results come in, that uh, we'll be able to prevail. Bob, uh, do, as the Republican in the room, do you think that um, Lee Zeldin should have conceded? Is he being a little bit of a sore loser by not giving a gracious no, concession? No, I, I don't think so at this point in time. All the votes have not been counted. He wants to see what the final numbers will be. Uh, I think we have some very close races around the state that are dependent on the votes that are yet to be there. As I said, we could be picking up five or six congressional seats mm. in New York alone, which would be a tremendous achievement. And I think that in part reflects the strength of how well Lee ran outside of the city of New York. But even here in the city, looks like we picked up some assembly seats in Republican areas, which is very encouraging, and that hasn't happened in a long, long time. A couple of the other races we're watching, NBC News is calling uh, the uh, U.S. Senate race in Pennsylvania for uh, John Fetterman. Uh, He is going to be speaking any minute. We're going to bring that to you live. Meantime, uh, a guy that has had a long day today, I've seen him just about on every reputable radio and TV station there is, is Hank Scheinkoff, veteran Democratic consultant, political science professor, and crisis communications expert. Hank, um, what's your analysis of the 
results that we're seeing in this election, both uh, in New York and nationally? Well, in New York, look, we need balance, and it's good that Zeldin ran the kind of campaign he did. He got he ran the campaign really that uh, took a hold in the last month. It was uh, kind of boring before that, and he made the local people wake up. They had a lot more money, they had a lot more time, a lot more resources, and uh, as a result of Lee Zeldin's efforts, I think four assembly members alone got got taken out tonight. There is uh, more balance in the state senate as a function of his his effort. Uh, congressional seats uh, were lost by the Democrats. I mean, if that's the measure, then we then people want bipartisan government in New York State. Oh, Lee Zeldin, a great debt of gratitude. Nationally, the great victor tonight is Joe Biden because the disaster that was supposed to happen didn't happen. Um, and frankly, he looks like uh, he wasn't such a bad fellow after all. And that's an objective standpoint from an objective standpoint. Hey, Hank, it's uh, it's Anthony Weiner. Good to hear your voice. I mean, uh, the the, Thank you. the other side of that coin is this is a tough night for Trump. I mean, he, again, if you consider that perhaps some of the chosen candidates in some of these races were a little bit more likable, a little bit less to the fringe, this could have been with all the with all the fundamentals at play. This should have been a much better night for Republicans in the U.S. Senate, at least. And then the House looks like it's going to be a handful of votes. I mean, I, I think that I think Trump might want to look at this night and be, not be too happy. Well, Trump is probably the reason why the Republicans did not. First of all, I hope you're doing great. But Trump is probably the reason why the Republicans did not do as well as they should have done in an off year and you know an off year election. Number one, number two, the the you know, DeSantis is the worst thing that Trump could ever happen to Trump. DeSantis has now made Florida into a uh, no longer a swing state but a red state. And uh, with tremendous popularity, the capacity to raise an extraordinary amount of money and potentially the capacity to roll up the entire South. So that if I were Donald Trump, that's what I'd be worrying about. But his presence cost the Republicans greatly tonight. No question about that. Well, I certainly uh, think that Trump's involvement in the primary selection of candidates hurt the Republican Party. This happened in Arizona. Uh, we we were able to prevail in Ohio, but it was much closer than it should have been. Uh, the situation in Georgia, again, very close race, shouldn't have been. We would have had a very good opportunity to win in New Hampshire if we had the right candidate. Didn't happen. And Trump also amassed about $100 million in campaign contributions that he apparently did not invest in his own candidate. So I don't think it was a good night for Donald Trump. Uh, my concern right along was that the, he was going to get actively involved in campaigns and further erode the vote for Republicans. What we saw in August when the Mar-a-Lago situation uh, dominated the news, there was no focus for an entire month on the issues that were going to drive the Republican agenda in this uh, campaign. And as he kept quiet, at least for the last couple of days, uh, we were able to see a return to people uh, – responding to crime, responding to inflation, responding to the economy and the issues that Republicans were advancing. But I think the election shows how difficult it is to defeat incumbents who are well-funded. And there was considerably more money for Democratic candidates and Democratic incumbents than the Republican candidates could possibly raise. Let me get Hank's reaction because I promised him we'd let him go to bed at a reasonable hour. What do you you think of uh, Bob's comments, Hank? I think Bob's very smart, but I think it's a lot more simple than that. Donald Trump cost the Republicans an awful lot tonight. 
it wouldn't have mattered who had more money. And in the midterm election, this should have been a much it should have been a much cleaner hit. I worked for Bill Clinton. I worked for a lot of other people. You know, in those midterm elections, extraordinary things happen. You know, this may be the best performance in 20 years for a party that was in power. Donald Trump is the villain of this story. He's the villain of. He's the excuse me. He is the villain of the story. If I'm a Republican, and if I'm someone who believes in, in bipartisan government that functions, and when there's some balance, he's doubly the villain. Uh, he's responsible for this. No one else. Doctor Sorrentino, uh, any questions for your fellow PhD, Hank Scheinko? Uh, yeah, I think we have to look at uh, the whole corporate structure of America, where they have moved more into the Democratic Party in their circles. And uh, they now provide enormous money. Uh, they not only directly, but through their not-for-profits. We used to call it dark money. And uh, I think in many instances we'll find that uh, the Democrat had maybe three times as much money, sometimes more than that, to, to run these elections. I think Dr. Sorrentino, that's what happens when you control the majorities of the chambers. You tend to be able to raise more money. As to dark money the le- and the Republicans and Democrats getting more of it, Last time I looked, the Koch brothers were not Democrats. Hank, the guys, uh, the, the guys, the guys for whom the uh, the Citizens United decision got made weren't Democrats. Hank, that's not that's not fair. Uh, yeah. You have done a yeoman's job today. We're going to go live to Pennsylvania to uh, hear John Fetterman's victory speech. Thank you so much for the time. Great job. Thank you for having me on. All the best. Thank you. Uh, here is John Fetterman, the senator-elect from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. It saved my life, and it should all be there for you when you ever should need it. Standing up to corporate greed. Making more things right here in America and right here in Pennsylvania. And standing up for our democracy. Twenty years ago, I came to Braddock to start a GED program, and I've spent these last two decades fighting for the forgotten communities, because no community deserves to be left behind, no one deserves to be abandoned, and every place matters. And I want to, again, I want to thank all of you amazing supporters. All of you, and all watching and every year. We bet on the people of Pennsylvania, and you didn't let us down. And my promise to all of you is I will never let you down. Thank you, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much. That is the Senator-elect, uh, John Fetterman. Uh, looks like uh, that may very well uh, tip control of the U.S. Senate from the Demo- from what was projected by many to be a Republican majority to a Democratic uh, majority. Uh, Congressman, there was a lot made of uh, Fetterman being too extreme from the Bernie Sanders wing of the party, unlike uh, Connor Lamb. A lot made of uh, his unorthodox campaign style, the hoodie and so forth. But uh, I think the most conversation about the Pennsylvania Senate race was about Fetterman's health and that debate performance, which uh, I think anybody charitably would describe as very poor. Any surprise uh, that he pulled it out here in Pennsylvania? Well, this is another issue that was on the ballot today was the quality of polling that we had seen. There was really two universes of polling. One was by the professional institutional pollers, and there was a lot of cheap polling going on. And frankly, by the time that debate happened, the margin had closed considerably. At that point, Oz was only down by about three points. 
And it reminds you of something. You know, when you watch moments like that in a debate, as, as much of it as a struggle for Fetterman, Oz was so slick, was so well put together, was so smooth, he never was a relatable candidate. And it was another example that I think if the Republicans had chosen a different candidate from Oz, then I think um, they would have won that race. Uh, one of the things that we saw in that race is that uh, Oz was largely portrayed as a carpetbagger, not really a Pennsylvanian, but a New Jerseyan. Bob, I, I know towards the end of your tenure in uh, in Staten Island politics, a lot of your political adversaries tried to portray you as not really living on Staten Island. Now, it turned out not to be true, but I, I'm sure that played a a role in terms of uh, you know the, your last election. Do you think that is one of the things that hurt Dr. Oz? No, no, I don't. Let's remember, Hillary Clinton came into New York never having lived in the state, and she got elected to the United States Senate. So I don't think that's an issue that really resonates uh, with with the public. I think one of the factors that we are not uh, giving enough consideration to is the early voting in Pennsylvania. And the early voting Mm -hmm. was substantial and took place before the debate. So many people had already cast their vote, and we know – uh, the pattern is that Democrats tend to vote earlier or independents voting earlier and Republicans vote on Election Day. So I think that was another factor, especially when you look at how close the race was. Also, it was a very brutal primary. Oz only won that primary by less than a thousand votes. And that left a lot of scars with a lot of Republicans who were unhappy with Oz as a candidate. Uh, I think Anthony is right. I think another candidate uh, might have been stronger under the circumstances. Uh, And certainly uh, some of Oz's commercials just absolutely baffled me uh, early on. Well, you you, you know, someone, we are going to be here for several hours talking about this, and there's a tendency to want to make narratives places. One narrative might be that nothing happened. In 2020, Pennsylvania went for the Democrats by a narrow margin, goes for for a Democrat today. In 2020, Florida went for the Republicans. It went for Florida today. Mm. In 2020, Arizona went for the Democrats. It may narrowly go today. You know, we have this tendency to try to take a 51-49 thing and say, well, let's make a big narrative out of it. It's a coin toss. That's the way the country is. That's the way some of these states are. And as we saw in Ohio, we convinced ourselves, okay, maybe this red state is going to be purple. No, usually what is, is. In Wisconsin, you know, Johnson, we couldn't imagine how he would get reelected. All we had to do was look at the numbers in Wisconsin. Evers did get elected there. So maybe that's the example of a weird state. But for the most part, this is going according to chalk, as we say in the horse race business. And uh, it looks like we're probably heading towards a runoff in the state of Georgia. It doesn't look like either Herschel Walker or Warnock uh, will achieve the magic 50 percent number. And I have to think, Dr. Sorrentino, that that is going to be the most costly Senate election maybe in history uh, because of what could potentially be at stake there. Absolutely. Uh, what you're going to see is money from all over the country. And that's one of the things that has basically changed in a tremendous level. Uh, Most of these races are funded uh, on the coast. They're funded uh, by these corporations, by these uh, not-for-profit stock money. I think uh, we're going to see maybe another $100 million at least in this uh, runoff. And if it turns out that it's going to be the difference we don't know what's happening in, in Arizona or in Nevada yet, uh, but if it's the difference maker, uh, 
all hell uh, could break loose. We're going to see what happens. It's going to be interesting. By the way, if there are results, uh, we're going to bring it uh, throughout the course of the program. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll take your calls throughout the hour as well. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Any uh, problems with voting irregularities, we're going to explore that with Isaac Saul a little bit later and uh, a whole lot of other stuff that's, uh, that you're in store for for the next few hours. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight we are analyzing yesterday's elections in studio uh, joining me is uh, democrat anthony weiner republican bob stranary and uh, political science professor dr frank sorrentino uh, control of the house and the senate hangs in the balance it appears the republicans have indeed won control of the house of representatives it appears the senate is still very much uh, up for grabs we're keeping an eye on a lot of these uh, these races you know it's interesting what uh, Hank Scheinkoff said earlier is that uh, Donald Trump didn't do the Republicans any favors here. I do, I do take note that there are some red districts that have become a lot redder, and I'm wondering if the Trump factor played a role in increasing enthusiasm in some of those communities. Bob, I'm seeing, for instance, the uh, district that you ran for Congress in, Nicole Maliotakis, looks like she's won with over 60% of the vote. I have to think at least a portion of that is due to increased enthusiasm about Donald Trump. I think that in certain districts, such as Staten Island and, and red districts, uh, Donald Trump probably does attract uh, a, a stronger Republican turnout. But you got to balance that off against the people who are alienated by him, which we saw clearly in, in 2020. And I'm not sure it has improved to today. I think he, again, uh, his he was a disruptive factor as far as I'm concerned, because he injected himself into Republican primaries. And, and the result was weaker candidates were selected than those who might have had a much better chance of winning, including elected officials who were seeking nominations for the Senate. And what do you think, Dr. Sorrentino, you've studied the role of kind of uh, separation of powers, the relationship that the executive branch has with the legislature, and you've certainly written about that. What do you think governing looks like for the next two years if it's a Democratic president, as will be the case, and a narrow Republican majority in the House and either a tied Senate as it is now or a narrow Republican majority in the Senate? Does that drive both parties closer to bipartisanship or does that cause both parties to dig in their heels a bit further? Well, that's the great question. Uh, We certainly know that the stock market tends to do better under divided government, at least historically. We've seen the S&P go up on average about 17 percent after a midterm election. But I think the real problem is, is that the parties have become much more centralized. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was able to put almost anything she wanted through uh, on a straight party line, 
And I think uh, Kevin McCarthy may be able to do the same thing. All the money that comes from the speaker and the speaker's committees uh, tend to dominate. Any individual member of Congress fears that they may be primaried or that somebody else will uh, uh, not get the resources that they need. And I think uh, we now have a situation where we don't get moderates in the same way. We get more uh, ideologically extreme candidates. That, that's an interesting point and one that I want to follow up with all of you on that. But, Anthony Weiner, you served in the House under uh, being with the Democrats serving in the majority and in the minority. What do you think governing looks like for the next two years? Well, if past this prologue, the Republicans are going to have a very hard time. I mean, it, it, there's a fundamental difference between congressional Republicans and Democrats and that Democrats are to a large degree have agenda of things they want to do. That's the whole nature of being progressive is that you think you can make progress through passing laws. And what we saw after the Tea Party and what McCarthy is going to learn now is there's a substantial core in his caucus that don't want to do anything. They just want to drive the place into a complete standstill because they think government is the enemy. The Marjorie Taylor Greens, the well, Matt yeah. Gaetzes, and the I Warren Boberts. Correct. And there's enough of them. If you are going to – you know, I, I predicted this weekend on, on my show The Middle that they would have a 20-seat major, majority, which means 10 people. Ten people switch votes and you're done. And so I think McCarthy is going to have a tough time even surviving as speaker, let alone getting stuff done. And a, a third thing to, 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 to keep in mind is they have said when they talk about their agenda for the next term, it's things like do a bunch of investigations. Those things are fundamentally not conducive to making coalition around. If you're going to do months and months of hearings about Hunter Biden and it, they, they're going to be controlling the House, they can do it. I'm not sure there are many Democrats that get up in the morning and say, hey, I want, I want to go compromise with those guys. They seem like they want to get stuff done. So I think it's going to be a very difficult time, and it's going to lead ultimately to four more years of Joe Biden because Joe Biden is then going to campaign against the do-nothing Congress, and that's a time-worn um, strategy to getting reelected. Uh, Bob, what do you think this portends for 2024? What does this mean for the likelihood of a Biden run, which most experts I, that I talked to didn't think was likely? And what do you think it means for the likelihood of uh, Trump being able to waltz into the Republican nomination, which even just a few months ago seemed like a certainty? Well, I don't think Trump is waltzing into the Republican nomination. I think Governor DeSantis had a very strong night. And a terrific performance when you look at how he increased his numbers from four years ago, from just winning by less than 50,000 votes to uh, carrying almost uh, the entire state of Florida. And uh, so I think he can be a very strong contender. And we have others. I I think that uh, many Republicans want to see us have a different candidate in 2024. And I think most Democrats would like to see a candidate other than Joe Biden. I'm not even sure Biden will finish this term, given the issues that are obvious to everybody who observes the man. Uh, Yes, uh, I think it will be very difficult for Congress to accomplish very much, but the agenda is usually moved by a president for which now the Republicans in the House will be able to, in fact, veto uh, any of the programs that are not going to be attractive to Republican voters and uh, the Republican uh, conference. Bob, you know, and, and I am loath to start campaign 2024. I said it a moment ago, only half kidding. I'm really not enthusiastic about it. But let's try this thought experiment. Iowa is a month from now, and Donald Trump gets into the, says, I want to I be the nominee again. There's nobody that beats him. Nobody. And if DeSantis gets in, that probably means one or two other people may get in. In that case, you're certainly going to have Trump. 
And the same way with Joe Biden. I think the one thing our parties agree upon is we don't like our likely nominees for 2024. But Joe Biden, on the other hand, makes the following argument. There's only one person on this stage or one person in this country that's beaten Donald Trump, and it's me, and I can do it again. And we just saw turnout and votes and tallies that mirrored what happened two years ago. We're stuck with these two candidates whose collective age is going to be 190 or whatever it is by the time they run. I just can't imagine as a Democrat watching how the Republican Party is dominated right now that if Donald Trump decides he wants to be the nominee, that anyone's going to stop him. All right. Well, one of the things we're watching... The other side of midnight proudly presents breaking news. All right. In Michigan, uh, Gretchen Whitmer is being declared the winner in the governor's race there. Democrat Gretchen Whitmer has defeated uh, Tudor Dixon. And in Utah, another race uh, that we were watching, it looks like Republican Mike Lee has uh, defeated uh, independent Evan McMullen, who was running uh, with the support of the Democrats as well. So as of now, it looks like there are 47 Democrats uh, in the Senate. Senate, 47 Republicans in the Senate with six seats still left to be decided. We're going to keep an eye on uh, on all of that. Uh, Dr. Sorrentino, do you want to follow up on what Anthony said? There? Uh, yes, I think uh, the problem uh, with Trump and the Republicans is that if Trump decides he wants the nomination, he's going to go for it. DeSantis may be the consensus among the secondary uh, members of the party and may think that he may be even a more effective candidate where you get a lot of the Trumpian policies without the personality. But I think Trump has the ability to kill any Republican nominee, and that's the critical aspect. If Trump says, I want this, he could destroy the Republican chances. He may not be able to get DeSantis, uh, even if he's able, DeSantis able to wrangle the the nomination, uh, I think Trump could even run as an independent, and he could be that destructive. All right, we're going to continue uh, with uh, Frank Sorrentino, Bob Stranieri, and Anthony Weiner in a moment. We're also going to check in with uh, reporter Isaac Saul in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We're going to take your calls, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We are in full post-election analysis mode, joined in studio by Bob Stranieri, Anthony Weiner, and Dr. Frank Sorrentino. It is interesting. One of the narratives that seems to be taking shape is that uh, Donald Trump did not help the GOP. And uh, a couple of people have uh, mentioned that J.D. Vance, who won in Ohio, um, did not mention Donald Trump during his victory speech. He specifically named 34 people for thanks or gratitude and uh, former President Trump, who campaigned there for him and who had a big rally in Ohio designed to help him. He was not one of the people that uh, that J.D. Vance mentioned. The other thing that I'm taking note of is the role of independence. In the last, uh, Amy Walter from the Cook Political Report, she tweeted that in the last four midterm elections, the party out of power has won independent voters by double digits. According to the exit polls, the Democrats only won independence this time around by one percentage point. So that could uh, play a role in explaining why things are so close. All right. Well, a lot of people have been very patiently holding. We have a good group of experts here. If you have questions, this is a good group to ask them, too. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Joe in Manhattan. Hello, Joe. 
Hi there, uh, everyone. Uh, I have a question, by the way, regarding uh, abortion, etc. Now, my question is that why the Republicans insist on abortion instead of simply letting uh, families, each and every family, you know, decide insofar as a uh, bearing children, etc. All right, uh, Joe. And let me get everybody to weigh in. Recommendations. Thanks, Joe. Uh, Bob, uh, what role do you think abortion and the recent Supreme Court decision did play in these the results? I think really the people who were really motivated with abortion being their top issue for voting were never going to vote Republican anyway. You know, let's let's remember the abortion law in New York was actually passed by a Republican legislature with a Republican governor uh, in the early seventies. It was a Republican Supreme Court that the first decided Roe versus Wade, and it was Republican uh, Supreme Court that upheld uh, the right uh, for abortion for 50 years until this recent court decision, which just sent it back to the states. And I think Lee Zeldin handled the issue the right way. The governor of New York State was not going to be in a position to dictate a change in the abortion law of New York, which some of us might call infanticide the way it is now uh, structured. Uh, Dr. Sorrentino, what role do you think abortion played here? I think it played a major role, uh, primarily because it disqualified certain people. And uh, while Lee Zeldin, I think, handled it as best he can because he has a past, he has a record. Uh, But uh, for many, many people in New York, I think uh, being pro-life. Well, not just in New York, but around the country. Around the country. I think it meant a, a difference in a lot of different states as well. Uh, the Republicans, if they had stayed with Roe v. Wade in terms of a position, let's say the 12 weeks as the dominant view in the country, and comparative to what most Western European countries have, uh, but I think the absolute ban on abortion was very, very difficult to overcome in an increasingly secular society. Anthony, uh, putting aside the merits of the abortion issue, politically, uh, what role did it play here? Bob says it was de minimis. De minimis. Frank says it was substantial. You're the, the tiebreaker here, I guess. In the well, it, it's, it's axiomatic that the out party does better in midterm elections. But who's the out party now? A lot of Democrats felt that they were the out party because the, the Supreme Court strikes down gun laws, strikes down um, a woman's right to choose. So what it did is it animated so many Democrats that at the by the time we got to the polls today, I bet you when all is said and done, I bet you turnout was roughly the same, Democrat or Republican. And that makes it kind of like a presidential year, and that's not good for Republicans. Republicans have done well in midterm elections because they're more educated, more animated voters. I think what the abortion argument uh, – the, the abortion decision did is it, is it motivated a lot of Democrats to the polls. And let me make a point about the, the, the Zeldin walking this tightrope. You can watch – Lee Zeldin in the primary he had against Andrew Giuliani and against these other guys, he mentioned six ways he would change the state law around abortion. Then he wins the nomination, says, oh, I don't really mean it. I meant another thing. I didn't really mean that thing. The problem is that when you deal with issues like that, that are visceral, that are about someone's very rights, it really is not just a policy thing that people are willing to overlook. So I I think the, the choice, listen, we know that in Kansas, a referendum was passed around it. 
We know that in upstate New York, midterm um, off-year uh, elections were held, that it was the big issue. I see no reason to believe that when all is said and done today, it wasn't a, a big reason why Democrats held their own. I, I want to bring in uh, Isaac Saul, who writes a uh, terrific political newsletter called The Tangle, which I subscribe to. And uh, he, it sort of uh, exploded, um, disputing claims about election fraud. One by one, it would tweet uh, different al- disproofs of uh, some of the things that people were raising about the 2020 election. Isaac, uh, joining us now live from uh, New Mexico. Isaac, are we seeing the supporters of any of the losing candidates this time around raise that specter of the election was rigged or there were irregularities that are playing a role in the outcome? You know, surprisingly, no, actually. Um, Heading into the race, there was some chatter that I saw from campaigns like Carrie Lake in Arizona and, you know, Dr. Mehmet Oz a little bit in Pennsylvania, sort of beating around the bush a little bit that maybe if they didn't win, you know, the only way they would fall would be because of this kind of nefarious activity. And we had some weird stuff in Maricopa earlier today. Uh, Some tabulation machines were down. Apparently some election workers got locked out by entering an inaccurate security passcode. And so there were some long lines there, but that seems to have all gotten sorted. And I've been keeping an eye out for stuff and honestly have not seen much of it, which, you know, I think is just kind of a product of how shocking some of the results we're seeing are. I think there's a lot of sort of infighting and people sort of looking around jaws agape because, you know, four or five hours ago, we were expecting a big, big red wave. And that's not really been what has happened so far. Well, that is uh, that is for sure. That seems to be the key takeaway here is this is the red wave that wasn't Uh, for people wanting uh, paying close attention to the U.S. Senate. Looks like right now the Democrats have at least 48 seats. The Republicans have at least 47 seats, five more seats yet to be determined. A lot of the states that we're watching, Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, those are still close to still too close to call um any other key takeaways isaac uh, one of the things i love about your newsletter is you always start any given issue you explore with what the left is saying what the right is saying and then you give your take any other key takeaways that the mainstream press is missing at this juncture well look i mean i think one big thing for me is that i think a lot of conservative republican polls were being thrown into the the kind of national polling averages that just weren't good. I mean, the the Trafalgar group, who has a lot of polling out there, have been off by eight to ten points in some of these governor races that we've seen called already. Um, you know, I've seen pollsters like from Real Clear Politics, which is a pretty even-handed, even sometimes kind of right-leaning pollster that averages out of the polls, just saying, you know, our, our averages were kind of corrupted based on the results that we're seeing. And so I think I think that's one big takeaway is that we are really worried about undercounting the kind of conservative pro-Trump vote. And I think maybe some of these polls actually ended up overcounting it, which accounts for some of the more surprising results we're seeing, like the House being pretty contested. And, you know, another big one is the the Trump endorsement and the power of the Trump endorsement. I mean, Dr. Oz was somebody who was not very popular among the Trump base and Trump had to sell him in Pennsylvania and get him across the finish line in the primary. And he did. And he is clearly uh, taken a drubbing tonight to a very weak candidate, frankly. I mean, John Fetterman has a lot of roots in PA and I think was a fairly popular guy and a lot of 
more conservative counties. But obviously his health issues, you would think, would have done a lot of damage to him late in the race. And the fact that, you know, we're we're just after midnight and it's been called already is is pretty shocking to me. And obviously uh, in Georgia, we'll see how Herschel Walker plays out. But you know, the there there are a few Trump candidates in some very swing states and swing districts that have gone down tonight. And uh, I think that's going to be a big narrative tomorrow is who, who's got control of the Republican Party. Obviously, Ron DeSantis had a dominant night in Florida, and there's going to be a lot of talk about where Republicans should go in 2024. So that's certainly something I'm keeping an eye on. Hey, this is Anthony Weiner. It's, it's, I read some of your stuff as well. It's, uh, you do a great job. Let me just ask you about this notion about the, the polling error. You know, in some of the polls that got it the worst, it seems, tonight were the ones that made an effort to try to figure out what they did wrong last time and kind of overcompensated. Are we forever going to see any poll that includes Trump just to be something we should probably disregard, but still the state of polling isn't so bad when he's not on the ballot? I, you know, I really don't know how pollsters are going to course correct from here because they, they have a huge problem in that Republicans, conservatives are much just much less trusting. I mean, the social science on this is pretty clear. The results of, you know, how many people they get to answer phones in homes where registered Republicans live is pretty clear. They are just way less likely to pick up the phone from a number they don't recognize and certainly way less likely to stay on the phone and talk to somebody when they identify themselves as, you know, an NBC pollster. And so that's a big problem for counting the Trump vote, the the sort of Trumpist right wing vote. And then the other side of it, which, you know, I'm seeing some chatter about now that I think is a really interesting take is there's there's also a lot of under 30 voters who are just rejecting robocalls mm. outright and are not going to answer those texts, not going to answer those phone calls. And I think we missed a lot of that vote in this election. I mean, we saw images of long lines at colleges all across the country tonight. There's been a lot of chatter about some of the exit polls showing a, a higher than expected youth turnout, young vote turnout, you know, the 18 to 30 block. And those that that group is, you know, regardless of political affiliation, also much less likely to pick up a random call from their phone. Uh, and and so, you know, I don't know. I, I do not envy the position the pollsters are going to be in and the postmortems that are going to come after this, because it's just, you know, it's it's clearly something went wrong in 2016. And and they, they appear to have missed quite big. Mm. Uh, in this election as well, Isaac Saul. Uh, if people want to subscribe to the Tangle or read it, um, uh, how can they? Uh, how can they do that? Uh, please, yes, go to readtangle.com. That's r e a d t a n g l e dot com. And yeah, like Frank said, every day we break down a big, hot political debate with views from the right and the left, and then my take. And I think we're one of the few places mm. offering some really balanced, informative, holistic right. political news. With the notable there. exception of this radio program, I'll, I'll say that. Uh, That's right. Thank you, Isaac. Uh, We'll see you when you get back on the East Coast, okay? Appreciate it, Frank. Have a good night, man. Uh, Thank you. If people just tuning in, uh, it looks like right now the Senate has 48 Democrats, 48 Republicans, still four seats up for grabs. Those seats, Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada. The House looks like there is 219 Republicans. That is enough for a majority. Not exactly a comfortable majority.
majority, at least 260 216 Democrats. Bob, it looks like we probably won't know which party is controlling the Senate tonight. Is that fair to say? Uh, I would think that would be the case because the the votes still are yet to be counted. But I think Wisconsin will be Republican in the end. I think Nevada will be Republican. And I think uh, this time when we have a runoff in Georgia in December, uh, the Republican candidate, Herschel Walker, is going to win. Uh, Dr. Sorrentino, if you were to pick the biggest surprise out of this election, what would it be? I I think uh, New York to some degree. I mean, even though I uh, argued that uh, Hochul had a lot of advantages in terms of uh, resources, uh, use of government, uh, the $20 billion that she got from the American Rescue Plan, which helped to solidify things. But New York is an interesting uh, example because I think while it was always difficult for Zeldin to win, I didn't think it was going to be that much of a wipeout. And I think that's surprising. But I think also another surprise is uh, is Pennsylvania. Mm. Uh, I I think there is a lot of people believe that Oz had the momentum. Uh, When we look at uh, New Hampshire, a lot of people uh, thought that Baldock was a weak candidate. And, of course, the Democrats were supporting Baldock. But uh, he did have a surge and he lost pretty badly. So I think uh, there are some uh, real significant surprises. Uh, But I think uh, what we were talking about, the, the Trump endorsements, they weren't always the strongest of candidates, and then he didn't provide the money that they needed to have. Uh, Bob, you, you spent a couple of decades in Albany. I want to get your take on this before uh, you, you get out of here. You l- referenced the fact that the Republicans won a lot of seats, within Democratic seats, within New York City. It looks like uh, your colleague for a couple of decades, Peter Abadi, could be heading down to defeat in Brooklyn. Looking like Assemblyman, Democratic Assemblyman uh, Stephen Simbrowitz could be heading down for a defeat. A uh, number of other Senate and Assembly seats throughout the state have gone from blue to red. Uh, we don't know for sure yet, but it looks like the supermajority in the state Senate will probably no longer be the case. What do you think that means for Albany for the next four years? Does that make a kind of what a lot of people what would consider a radical left-wing uh, law like bail reform less likely to come down the pipe? I, in the I think it will provide another check on the Democratic overwhelming majority in both houses as well as the governor. You know, back in the day when uh, we had 52 Republicans, uh, we had a good working relationship with uh, the first uh, Governor Cuomo uh, because we were able to support him on uh, issues that uh, we thought he was right on. And and we were able to uh, prevent an override of any of his vetoes. So the Assembly Republican Conference was able to uh, exercise power that it might not otherwise have. So if we if we can get 52, 53, 54 assembly uh, Republicans, uh, that will give real power to the minority leader. Uh, Dr. Frank Sorrentino, any uh, closing thoughts from you? Uh, any key takeaways on this election uh, nationally, locally, whatever the case may be? Yeah, I think one of the things that we forget is that the Senate was uh, 35 people up for election. Uh, 21 were Republican seats. So it was always going to be a little difficult. Uh, I think they made it worse by the some of the candidates they chose and the lack of resources that they provided. Uh, but I think it was always a tougher slog than most people anticipated. 
Anthony Weiner, just kind of about a minute left here. Uh, you know, we're seeing very poor approval numbers for President Biden. A lot of concerns about the economy. Is there any way to view the fact that this wasn't a red wave as anything but a repudiation of, of Donald Trump? Yes. I mean, look, Trump was to some degree on the ballot because he chose to impose his will on some of these things. But this is still, look, this is a good night for Biden only because he didn't get swamped. Mm. And that's what we thought when we sat down. We're going to have Anthony Weiner stick around. Uh, Bob Stranary, Frank Sorrentino, thank you both. uh, And uh, we'll be calling upon you soon. You have questions. This is a good day to ask. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We are keeping an eye on the aftermath of yesterday's elections. As it stands now, the Senate appears to have 48 Democrats, 48 Republicans, four seats still up for grabs or too close to call. As it stands now, the House of Representatives seems to have uh, 219 Republicans, 216 Democrats. Joining me uh, for this hour is uh, former Democratic congressman, former Democratic candidate for mayor of New York City, Anthony Weiner. He's also the host of the Keys to the City podcast on the Red Apple Audio Network. If people haven't heard that uh, podcast, Anthony, what do you talk about uh, generally? So Keys to the City, and I also we we also do the middle every Sunday, every Saturday from two to three, and then yeah, I, uh, I meant to ask you about that because uh, obviously you know you it's definitely you are the middle of the Democratic Party given ha- the leftward shift of the the AOC wing of the party, but I mean, is it really fair for you to be hosting a show co- called the Middle? Like, for instance, who was the last Republican that you voted for? I, I, I think my my arm would fall off if I voted <laughs> right. for Republicans. So how can no, you host it, this a show isn't called about the and this is what I say to to listeners is I don't expect people not to be partisan and I don't even expect I don't expect them to be ideological. But I have a, a a governing theory right now that the extremes of the two parties are dominating the debate to the detriment of the country. Yes, and that it doesn't necessarily mean that I want people who not who are not Democrats and not strong Democrats and not Republicans. I just think that there's so much about the conversation, about the issues of the day, that if we could magically turn off the AOC wing, turn off the green wing, and the wood, that we would be able to get a lot more done. And, and so that's, that's kind of the philosophy of the program, and, and, and the callers and, and the response to it has been, has been good. As far as Keys to the City, it's much more kind of my ideas. I wrote these two idea books when I ran for mayor. We take one idea each week, and sometimes it's a discreet little thing. Like one of the ones is like, why do we have to leave no parking 15 feet on the side of a fire hydrant? It's not like the fire trucks are parking there, Larry. It's there. They are, you know, and sometimes they're bigger things like housing. And then we bring an expert on to say whether he thinks my my he or she thinks my idea is a good one or a bad one. And that's one of the podcasts that we do. But it but we try to find the middle 
in an environment where, frankly, the middle is not being heard enough. In my if uh, people want to hear that, they can search Keys to the City with Anthony Weiner on any podcast app, or they can just go to WABCradio.com. The Larry that you mentioned is Larry Sharp, who was the former libertarian candidate for governor and was poised to be the libertarian candidate for governor again this year, but uh, he was bounced off the ballot because of some draconian rules regarding petitions that uh, Andrew Cuomo signed into law before he left office. He's a business consultant and an entrepreneur. Uh, Larry, I know you were campaigning as a write-in candidate. Absolutely. Uh, you have any idea how you did in terms of write-in votes this year? I think we got somewhere between probably ten and 30,000 write-in votes, which is, you know, not what I needed. I needed about 130 to 140,000 to actually be able to have a chance of getting a ballot line. So we didn't come anywhere near close. I got 100,000 votes last time I ran, but I was on the ballot then. Um, so to get that many is still not bad, but not great. Uh, so we have to keep trying and keep fighting. Sadly, there's no independent parties in New York State anymore. So now it's just left versus right only to, uh, to Anthony's entire uh, point. It's just left versus right, and there's no middle. So, All right. John Tobacco is here. He's a Wall Street entrepreneur. He's the host of Wise Guys on Newsmax TV, the CEO of the Token Team, which deals heavily in the cryptocurrency sphere, yes. and a former candidate for New York City controller. Hello there, John. Well, Frank, it's a pleasure to be with you tonight, my friend, and uh, to be next to the libertarian gubernatorial candidate with the uh, libertarian New York City controller. Absolutely, you. So, I think a lot of libertarian in yes. the room tonight. I think you might yep. be a little more right leaning than uh, than Larry is. Um, you take right and left; it's okay. And most <laughs> of the country doesn't know it or won't admit it. They're libertarians. Oh well. So yes. let's talk about that since yes. you guys have brought this up. Uh, this Georgia Senate race. It looks like this is heading towards a runoff because uh, nobody got fifty percent of the vote. Why not pa- go in? Part of the reason that the th- that no one got fifty percent is because there was a third candidate in there, Correct. the libertarian vote, who got about uh, just about 2%. Chase now, Oliver. A lot of the conventional wisdom, Larry, mm-hmm. is that these are folks that be- believe in low taxes and limited True. government, yep. and that uh, those are folks that are more likely to vote for Herschel Walker over Warnock. You don't think that's no, the case? No. Chase Oliver is one of our, as I said, we have left and right-wing libertarians. Chase Oliver is the first um, openly gay senatorial candidate in uh, Georgia, and he is much more of a left-leaning libertarian, and he's much more worried about things like cannabis and things of that sort. So the people who will support him will lean for the left. So if it goes to a runoff, odds are Warnock is going to win because more left-leaning libertarians are voting for him. And Anthony, any prediction on the well, runoff in Georgia? The, well, first of all, it may not matter. If we win two more – if Democrats win two more Senate seats, then it's going to be the 51st, not the 50th. So it may not matter. But I'm curious. So the libertarian view on on – a woman's right to choose theoretically not theoretically it's pro choice yeah so so i'm not sure how it how it would cut in georgia yeah um that's the thing but you know the basis of liberal the same it comes from the same foundational word and theoretically from the same foundational ideals that i think a lot of americans believe that they don't want government intruding in their personal lives as much as possible absolutely so um but i i, I think that that if it there's a very good chance that it we we leave here tonight that Georgia doesn't matter except to be the 51st state. Mm. Um, you know but you have to realize something, though, right? The Libertarian <clears throat> Party leans the opposite of the state because we, lead the, we don't like the state. So in Georgia, which is more of a, a red state, the party leans blue. Mm-hmm. In, 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 in New York, it's blue. It, the party leans red. Interesting. So I, we have, we're more right-leaning here in New York. John Tobacco, give me your prediction on the runoff in Georgia if it comes to pass, which appears likely. I can't understand Georgia. I really can't understand Georgia. I, I, I just – yeah, I wish there could be a real candidate who could get in line with the gubernatorial candidate and then put the whole thing to bed. Um, 
But I also can't believe that the number one Georgia dog on earth can't get over fifty percent of Georgia. You, you know, you bring um, up. So uh, give me a so prediction the whole on pop culture. Uh, I think it's to me. I think it's Herschel, Herschel in a photo finish um, somehow, some way, because America seems to always figure it out. I think uh, Republicans had really high hopes. The red wave is coming. Mm. Um, I've been out there, you know, my co-host from Wise Guys on Newsmax, Kara Kachanova, running for the 22nd Assembly District out in Nassau County. Um, she's a Democrat. She voted for Obama two times. She's an Asian female. And Democrats' heads were exploding in uh, Nassau County to see a Republican who was, like, pro-libertarian, pro-freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's in the Republican Party, so she... Lost the race um, with a great showing, if you ask me. Worked the tail off. But, um, you know, I think there are good things afoot in Nassau County and New York City. So you bring up an interesting point, which is that in Georgia, this is a state where Brian Kemp, the Republican governor there, won handily. And Herschel Walker right now has about 48 percent of the vote. So there was some ticket splitting in Georgia. In Pennsylvania, it looks like it looks like the Democrats have won both the governor's mansion and the U.S. Senate seat that was hotly contested. But the Senate seat was a much narrower margin. So there was some ticket splitting in Pennsylvania. Wisconsin as well. Evers won the governor race there. And in New Hampshire, looks like they're going to have a Republican governor and uh, looks like they're going to have a Democratic U.S. senator. So for all the talk of fewer and fewer people splitting their ticket, at least in a couple of these purple states, people are still uh, are still doing this in the current situation where things are so polarized and Donald Trump seems to drive such a binary choice in a lot of voters minds. How common do you think ticket splitting is going to be prospective? I, I think you can take away a different lesson from this, and that is that candidates matter. Herschel Walker was a lousy candidate, and you know, and, and and frankly, Kemp was a very good candidate. Kemp was an incumbent. I I think the candidate quality still means something. That you know, you can draw conclusions about ticket splitting, but in fact, these states are fifty fifty states. These races are fifty one forty, you know, forty nine or fifty two forty eight. And that if you're a better candidate, you're going to do better. Think about a Georgia runoff. We just had one in 2020. Republicans I, you know, got whacked. I, I have. I mean, well, it was a point and a half. But it, it, I see no reason to believe that these states are going to that, – that Georgia will look that much different. In fact, Georgia is gradually becoming more blue. Yeah. And so I, I would probably see the same outcome hmm. with, with, with Warnock that we had for Ossoff. But you, you're not going to get a sweep because you don't have a positive message, right? The reason why Trump was so effective in 2016 is he had MAGA, right? Make America great again. That was a, a positive message. It wasn't just other guy bad. It was, and I'm going to fix it, right? Other guy bad, and here I'm going to fix it. Obama had that. Other guy bad and hope and change. We didn't have it. We just had other guy bad. That's all we had this entire time, which – is much more stagnant. You're not going to have massive sweeps when all I'm saying is, well, that guy's worse than me. That's yeah, but I'm, isn't, I'm isn't, is, is, isn't that fundamentally the problem with the Republican Party right now? What do they believe in? We know what they're against. What do they believe in? Well, and, uh, Democrats do are all about Trump is evil. Well, I think a whole lot both of the same thing. The, 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 the Democrats passed, you know, and, and endeavored to pass and passed a whole bunch of bills. You might not like them. And some voters liked them, some people mm-hmm. didn't. But I do know that in September, when we were doing better, it was because the American people said, all right, finally, they're doing something. I don't know what it is, but they're doing something. You think that's why more Democrats came out? <clears throat> I think that's why. We were, at our, we were at our apex when a couple of things were happening. 
The courts were getting involved in a woman's right to choose. Mm -hmm. Trump was in the news at Mar-a-Lago. Yep. And the third thing was Biden was getting some stuff done. Passing yeah, but the, the top ball. two are the ones I think of what you just said, which Could is be. we're afraid of the right. We're scared of Trump and then Democrats rush out, right? Could be. Could when, be. Whenever I hear – what I always see is if you want to get Democrats to, 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 to vote – just bring out Orange Man Bad. Well, uh, Do that. Yeah, it, that's and a, that's it, it is interesting. You see it too, right, uh, John? Uh, President Biden is uh, on the verge of being the most successful first-term president in the midterm elections electorally since George Bush in twenty in 2002. Obviously, yeah. 2002, you had the run-up to war and you had the aftermath of September 11th. What do you think explains the lack of a red tsunami this time around? Well, I listened to you guys and your previous guests uh, doing the whole Trump orange man bad thing. Um, well, oh, well, we'll hear Joe Scarborough so what tomorrow, do you think it is? tomorrow morning on, on Morning Joke. They'll be saying, well, uh, the, our, Trump killed the party. That's pretty obvious. All this other stuff. What I think is um, maybe it was proven to Anthony's point earlier that, you know, it's not just it's, it's about the candidates, but it just can't be. Trump's apprentice candidates, you know, mm -hmm. these TV celebrity, Herschel Walker, Heisman Trophy winner, Dr. Oz. Um, maybe they don't work with people. They're, they're not buying into that whole thing. They're just buying into what Larry said, Trump, right? That's what they're buying into. He's a cult of personality. And, you know, as much as everybody's going to be saying tomorrow, there was no tsunami and everything else. We got the house, right? I'm I'm, right. I'm, I mean, yeah. it's not. I'm, I'm saying yeah. Well, yeah. we're going to yeah. have it. 100%. Is, that, yeah. is that right? Yeah, that's true. Okay. So there's the hammer on the whole process right away. There's automatic log jam. So when everybody's talking about the pity party, we won. Right. The okay. House. But we won. Right. The macro win is they can't just continue to force but, the printing presses to print money mm, to fund bills yes. for every other wish See, in the world. And the Republicans can at least stop the bleeding. And if we if we get the Senate, it doesn't really matter. It's just, it's a can I say circle jerk? Well, because if we get the House, whether we get the Senate or not, nothing's <laughs> happening. All right. And that's a good thing for us in our economy. Let me take you guys to Florida, where one of the big winners, no question about it, is Ron DeSantis. Yes. He won by double digits, not only statewide, but even in Miami-Dade County, which uh, has long been a Democratic stronghold. Here was Governor DeSantis in his victory speech uh, as he defeated the former governor, Charlie Crist, this time running as a, as a Democrat. Here's Governor DeSantis. Now, while our country flounders due to failed leadership in Washington, Florida is on the right track. I believe the survival of the American experiment requires a revival of true American principles. Florida has proved that it can be done. Seventeen years ago, Anthony Weiner, I remember a profile on you that the New York Times did in which you said that early in your political career, you were actually thinking of moving to Florida because they were growing in population and they were going to add a congressional seat. You were actually thinking of running for Congress down there because you didn't know if you were going to have the opportunity to do so in New York. Is Florida now a permanent red state that would no longer welcome a prospective Congressman Weiner? Well, at, at the time, you know, in the 80s, I was like, it's two places a Jew from Brooklyn can get elected, <laughs> Brooklyn or South Florida. And they have, like, since then, I think they've added six, six seats, four of them in that southern tier. Look, it, w we keep chasing the unicorn of thinking that 
Florida is a purple state, that Ohio is a purple state. These are red states. And North Carolina is trending towards the Democrats. Georgia is now getting to the point. Arizona, like there was a time not so long ago, Virginia was considered a purple state. These things change, and I think that it's time that Democrats understand that that is basically a red state. I am not convinced that Ron DeSantis is anything more than a momentary flash in the pan because he's not going to run successfully for president. If he runs, he's, I think he's going to walk into a buzzsaw. With Trump. I mean, With Trump. He can't be Trump. So I think he's this, this, this fiction that we have in the media and the gossip class. Or wouldn't it be great if we had this? We are stuck with the two candidates we have, Biden and Trump, for all of their flaws. The fact that both of them, if our parties had their druthers and they can snap their fingers, neither one of them would run. Um, but I think those are the candidates we're going to have. So our fascination with DeSantis, I think, is purely academic because I don't think he's going to be the nominee. Uh, I want to follow up on what we I, I, I want to, on the record, say I think the opposite is true. I think we will not have Trump nor Biden on a ticket in 2024. I think uh, both for the Democrats both. and the Republicans? Correct. I think wow. you'll, I, my, my, I'm calling out. I think you'll see neither of those two. Uh, John, uh, is Florida a permanent red state? I don't think anything's permanent well, because if right. we keep leaving the borders open, who knows what the next generation of Hispanic, Latino immigrants coming over the border. Um, but it seems like right now, however they got here, um, that whole Miami-Dade community has had a seismic shift. Um, so maybe it didn't reflect into all these races. We did win some congressional races that, you know, everyone's saying, well, Trump screwed everything up. Uh Anthony D'Esposito won uh, in Nassau County. First time candidate, you know, um, they, they I, I saw that whole race. They had him, you know, hustling it, but not really knowing he could win right. and yeah. won the race. Larry, um, I think it's red. Uh, I think the, it's permanently red. There was a uh, survey that came out uh, done by uh, Bill Galston of the Brookings Institute a couple of weeks ago that showed more than four in ten Americans in a new survey say they're open to a moderate alternative. Now, mm-hmm. let's say the scenario that Anthony Weiner laid out is what occurs, Biden versus Trump in 2024. Mm-hmm. Democrats don't seem happy with Biden. Republicans, yep. many of them, don't seem happy with Trump. You have three potential third-party options in 2024. None for will centrist. have any impact at all. Uh, uh, Brock Pierce, yep. uh, who says Brock. he's running. The No show. Labels movement and yep. the Andrew Yang Forward, forward Party. Forward I love him. Um, will <laughs> any of those be a viable uh, place for these four and ten voters to be forward? To go? I love them all. I was literally on stage with, with Andrew Yang this last summer. He endorsed my candidacy. Uh, I like love Brock Pierce. I think they're great guys. They're all independents. But the system is broken. 2024 is not the year for a third party. Maybe 2028. Maybe but 2024 is if we're if we're lucky 2024 one independent party will get some electoral vote someplace, maybe like Maine or Utah or something <laughs> like that. That's about the only thing. John, what do you make of that Brookings survey, and what do you think of a, a matchup of Trump versus Biden rematch? Well, first of all, I'll say if 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 Larry's right and Trump and Biden are out, and Brock Pierce and Andrew Yang are in. I'm in on that one. Okay, I'm laying it down right now. I will be camping out up there when the primary starts. I'm your VP. Ready to roll. I'll you, be in you Iowa. Got, you guys, I'll be in New Hampshire. You guys are from the same Andrew state. Yang That's it. Yeah. Back Sharp. Pierce. That's it. They uh, should run together. Anthony, like uh, four and ten say they're open to a moderate alternative. Uh, by your own admission, a lot of Democrats unhappy with the choice of Biden. We see what, what's happening with Trump and the Republicans. Is there any scenario in which a well-funded centrist alternative could break through in a Trump-Biden matchup? No. No. Right. I mean, but hey, yeah. let me just no say way. something about these types of questions. You know, I think people who are asked questions always say, I want people who are going to compromise to get things done. 
In my years in public life, no one's ever stopped me on the street and said, Congressman, go down there in Washington and compromise already. They say, <laughs> I, I want to fight like heck for my Social Security. Yes. Fight like heck for the That's oh. people. And then we go down to Washington and we have to raise a bunch of money to stay there. And we get on the phone and when we're asking donors for money, they don't say, hey, do me a favor. On my important issue, please go compromise with the guy. We put down our phones and then go out and hug each other. It doesn't work out that way. We have this system. Because of the Electoral College, we're stuck with this system. It is going to be a two-party system for, the, for, for when all of our kids grow up to, to be voting. And it's probably not great. I can see that. But it is a structural problem we have around the Electoral College that is going to make it very difficult for a third party. But if, we, if we change to ranked choice voting, no. if we do ranked choice voting, there's a chance. But that's not going to happen for, to your and point, a, and years. A, and a jungle primary. And yeah, yes, uh, that's not going to happen for years, right? But your, your point's, wow. I think, right. But Ranked that's choice, the way of making it work. jungle primary. What yes. else should we throw in on this one? As well, much you as know, we how, can. Like, By the way, vote. what was on the uh, ballot good, good in, for Republicans. Uh, in Nevada this year, yeah. Not ranked and, choice. Well, and how, I know my friend here is the biggest advocate. He's the father of ranked choice in New York well, City. Why, Believe so me when why, I tell why, you. One, why are you opposed to ranked choice voting in concept? And why do you think it's... It's not good for a Frankie. You know, I was in the Independence Party. Right, right. I was, but but it's, yeah, yeah. It confuses the voters, if you ask but, but me. Voters, and, voters rank the. I asked my eleven-year-old son, "Give me your five favorite football teams. You can rank them in five seconds." That, um, but we're way, not ranking our five favorite football teams, and we're not throwing it into somebody else's hopper you, to keep calculating it. No, so I think the pub. I've supported them, Frank. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I supported them, but I'm saying. To me, being out there in the streets, the sentiment of the people is as soon as one thing goes wrong, then the whole thing's a scam, and then people lose faith. Me, I, I, trust. I, I, yeah, that, I don't want to get, I don't I get bogged down it. on this, but I want to tell you, as guys who are independent mm-hmm. your best path to victory no question. is to break the paradigm. No question. Yes. <laughs> no question. 800-848-9222. Uh, we're going to check in with a few other guests. Very quickly, David in the Bronx has been holding uh, for a while. Hello, David. Yes, good evening. I have a question for uh, Congressman Weiner. Um, do you think that um, a governor-elect Hochul will take action to retaliate against Andrew Cuomo and his people who basically came out against her in the final weeks before the election? No. I, I don't know what retaliation looks like when your governor – I mean, look, I, I don't – I don't even know what it what you're referring to. I mean, I think that she's just thrilled to be there. I think you know she she woke up one morning and she was the went from being the anonymous lieutenant governor that most people couldn't pick out of a lineup. Now she's the governor of the greatest state in the union, and I think she's gonna. She very much wants to make sure in four years time she has her own record that she's able to run on. And I think she's going to want to put Andrew Cuomo in her rearview mirror as much as possible. And so I don't think that she's going to want to pick at that scam. Uh, thank you, David. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll continue with your phone calls, 800-848-9222. We'll go live to Florida and get an update from a place where the future Republican nominee for president, whether that's Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, calls home. And uh, maybe even the future majority leader of the uh, U.S. Senate or the future Republican leader of the U.S. Senate. We'll uh, explore that and uh, we'll give you an update on some of the races that occurred in New Jersey, some close uh, congressional races, and a whole lot more. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, joined in studio by uh, former Democratic Congressman Anthony Weiner. He's the host of the Keys to the City podcast and the co-host of Left vs. Right on WABC and the host of The Middle, uh, joined as well by Larry Sharp, a former Libertarian candidate for governor of New York, on business entrepreneur, and uh, business leader John Tobacco, the host of Newsmax TV's Wise Guys. Uh, we're going to take a couple of quick calls and then we'll uh, check in with Florida. If you have questions, now's a good time to ask them. 800-848-9222. Chris is in the Catskills. Hello, Chris. Good morning, gentlemen. I just left the Pat Ryan uh, watch party. Uh, he won by less than 2,200 votes in District House, New York House District 18 over Assemblyman Lawler. And Lawler called him about an hour ago to concede. And Mark Molinaro is going to win. I thought Lawler is leading over Maloney. Excuse me, I'm, I think I you apologize. mean Colin Schmidt. I apologize, yeah. Colin Schmidt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. I just, I just walked in my door. Uh, Mark Molinaro is going to pull off a narrow victory over Josh Riley by like two points. Good for Mark. And uh, I, I, I think these men are going to work together in Washington for the betterment of upstate New York. They know one another from the special election they had, and. Maybe I guess the question I'll throw out to you, gentlemen, is am I being overly optimistic? And I'll throw something out. It looks like the Working Families Party line and Conservative Party line are going to stay intact. Uh, So far, that does seem to be the case. Uh, Very interesting. Uh, Thank you, Chris. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not sure it's a great thing for the Republicans that the Conservative Party line stays in business because I think it's – and I voted on the Conservative line, but I don't think – I think it actually pulls the GOP farther to the right and alienates potential centrist voters who are independents or Democrats. Uh, Larry, is a third point. Let me me do two parts. One, I'm glad Malinaro is winning. I like like him. I ran against him in 2018. He he is the most centrist guy, and he probably will try to get things done. I, I do think he will. When it comes to Republicans, he's a centrist Republican. But um, when it comes to conservative party, conservative does nothing in this state. They're they're a parasite party. They just do what other Republicans do. They literally don't run their own joke. candidates. They do any, they they do nothing. Party's a joke. The party's a joke. Thank you. Thank you. It's a joke. The conservative party's a joke. I'll say it. The well, guy the, we'll the guy mean, who runs it, um, Kassar, Jerry Kassar. Come on, totally useless. Those well, days I, are I, over. I, I, I like Jerry. But I, I, I like I, Jerry too. But, but Frank, so you're he, saying he yourself. literally sued me yeah. off the ballot. Yeah, but he so, literally he, sued he, me off the ballot. So you agree? Jerry gave me his endorsement. Okay, and then took it back. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, again, this is true. Aside, no, yes. no, no. I, I could say this, Frank. Yeah, I know, but they was, gave me the endorsement. Right. Never but, happened in history. Yep. They put out a press release that they endorsed me, and then had their Bronx chairman call me up and say, "You know, we really didn't mean it when we endorsed you." Yeah. So yeah, well, to me, that's a joke of a party. Uh, you know, I was involved personally. Incorrect. I worked hard. I went out to all their boroughs, to all their meetings, sat down, seven meetings. and, and, right, well, and They're going to be there for at least the next two years. Yes. Uh, hopefully family, we don't thing. need them. Working families, useless too. Same thing. They they get their butt I, beat by the Democrats and then go back to the Democrats again. They support Cuomo. Cuomo tries to throw off the ballot. They go right back to Cuomo. Uh, they're, they're both joke parties, not really. Anthony Weiner, uh, your take on the Conservative Party and the Working Families Party sticking around for at least the next uh, two Look, years. I think if these parties exist, they should feel their own candidates. Yes. I mean, and then maybe you're having – you're contributing something. If you really believe that the Republican Party is not your home, you want to have a separate party, do it. 
which you have parties after parties, but they're endorsing the same people. What are you accomplishing except a shell game to keep yourself in well, business in and raising case, money and things like that? In the like case that. of the conservative yes. party, uh, they are pulling the GOP to the right. That's what they're doing. They're not doing that at all. That's absolutely not true. Well, but there, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But in that case, you should not be endorsing the, the Republican candidate. What are, you, yes. what, what are you achieving then? What are you doing? It is one thing to stand up, like Larry might say, and listen, I philosophically don't believe I am at home in either of these <clears> parties, and there are like-minded people like me in the state. Win or lose, I want to give them a voice. If you are cross-endorsing and then you're working families party, and I feel so strongly about these issues until a week before the election when someone writes me a check and suddenly I don't anymore, I don't understand what it contributes to the right. debate. I mean, I think they would argue they're pulling the Democrats further to the left. But in that case, get into the Democratic Party yeah. and do the and work there. DSA does that. Hey, Democratic uh, Social of America does that within uh, a caucus. Let me go the, uh, live to Florida uh, where uh, Ron DeSantis has uh, pulled off a major victory. And, uh, you know, a lot of you may have heard President Trump at the rally uh, refer to Governor DeSantis as Ron DeSanctimonious. And apparently the person that uh, was the progenitor of that nickname is a controversial political consultant and New York Times bestselling author Roger Stone. Roger, um, a lot of people are saying Ron DeSantis had a very good night and Donald Trump didn't necessarily have a good night. What's your take on the election results coming out of Florida and in general? Well, to put it in context, uh, I think uh, President Trump is uh, very disappointed in Ron DeSantis because Ron DeSantis, a very popular governor of Florida, won big tonight really owes his initial governorship to Donald Trump. Uh, it was only Trump's tweeted endorsement that allowed DeSantis to go from single digits, where he was a fairly unknown congressman, uh, and overcome the support of the entire Republican establishment of Florida uh, for the state agricultural commissioner. But 67 county chairman, every county chairman, every Republican state legislator, every Republican member of the delegation uh was supporting Ron DeSantis's opponent. If you go back and look at Ron DeSantis's TV commercials, they're all about Donald Trump and the Trump endorsement. So I think he is very disappointed that Ron DeSantis in the debate for re-election to the governorship would not rule out uh, a presidential bid, meaning he wouldn't commit to spend all four years of a new term if re-elected. <clears throat> that said, he did take a shot uh, at Ron DeSantis, called him Governor DeSanctimonious. I think the the disloyalty, the lack of gratitude is really shocking to the former president, or I should say disappointing. Uh, but the next day at a rally in Miami, he also endorsed uh, Ron DeSantis, as he did Marco Rubio. So I think there has to be some context. I think these men are on a collision course. Uh, I think that uh, DeSantis is going to challenge Trump within the Republican Party. I think he's going to lose that contest. Uh, but generally speaking, the governor had a very good night. Florida was a bright spot for the Republicans. I would point out that prior to his endorsement by Trump, Marco Rubio was leading by one ended up winning by nine, I believe, or ten. Uh, Roger, so some of the people um, are saying that the reason that the Republicans didn't have a bigger win tonight is because a lot of these Trumpian candidates won GOP primaries. Folks like Bolduc in New Hampshire and others, they're almost uh, making comparisons to 2010 when the Tea Party wave, when you had all those Tea Party candidates win primaries and then lose the general. Is that a fair criticism in your view? 
Well, first of all, I'd like to see some more results. I mean, uh, we, there's half these results are not in yet, so it'd be difficult to say definitively. But you had the same kind of strange spikes uh, in the results in Arizona, in Pennsylvania. I just don't think that those elections have been free, honest, uh, transparent, and so on. Um, show me a stronger candidate who could have done better. I was not a great fan, for example, of Dr. Oz. On the other hand, the people the people in Pennsylvania appear to have elected a man to the Senate who is non-compass mentis, who can not even string together a, a, a sentence. So, uh, no, I, I think that's, uh, uh, that understates the strength Trump continues to have at the grassroots. Any Anybody else have anything for uh, Roger? Yeah, no, I guess the, the other question is then, did it make sense for the Democrats to spend money on some of those candidates trying to get the more Trumpian candidates um, into into the into the general election? Was that well, successful well, well, or not? Let's take, for example, but let's take let's take an example. Joe O'Day in Colorado, who Politico said was, you know, the hot, dark horse. He was a strongly anti-Trump candidate. He made it very clear. Mm-hmm. He ran as a never Trumper. He got crushed. So I just don't think I'm not sure that that was the factor here. The larger factor has to do the backdrop could not have been better for Republican success. But the red wave overall turns out to be more of a red dribble. And I think a lot of that has to do uh, with with the Republicans putting forward no agenda. Yes. Just running against what I was saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah MAGA, John, MAGA didn't work as well this time. There wasn't a, it wasn't a MAGA too. Uh John Tobacco, anything you wanted to add? Hey Roger, how you doing? So um is 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 it fair to say that the main goal for right now was to at least take back the house to break up the whole one party rule? Is that is that fair to say? In your view? Well, I think ex- the expectation levels got out of hand. That's, what, any I'm, of that, it, that's so. what I'm saying. But six so months I, ago, I always, it was maybe we can get the Senate too, right? Right, but that was um, a but we got to get the House. Yeah, so. I always I always thought the House was in the reach. Uh, last when I looked at real clear politics, the Republicans were up one seat. Uh, it appears to me that Sean Patrick Maloney has been defeated in the, the Mid Hudson Valley. Found that very interesting. The chairman of the. Democrat Congressional Campaign Committee, that's certainly a a significant win. But I saw today someone was predicting 59 Republican seats in the Senate. That was never, ever Mm. within the realm of of possibility. Yeah, I heard 53, 55, but I personally just thought, please. If the Republicans win the House, they will have the instrument uh, to kind of change the political dynamic here by beginning to investigate Hunter Biden and the Biden administration. Of course. Uh, and I do think that can change the dynamic. But uh, I never thought the Senate was ever a certainty. I just think your expectations got out of hand. And we still have yet to see how that ends up. We, uh, I guess we're going to a runoff in Georgia. It looks that way. Uh, any prediction on how that turns out, Roger? You're in a neighboring state. Uh, it's going to be very expensive for both sides. Mm. A huge amount of money will get pulled in there. But, uh, Frank, I hate to ask your, answer your question with a question, but how honest and transparent is the process going to be? Yeah, hey, I mean, uh, some of these, well, some of these, uh, some of these spikes in the voting year are very concerning. Uh, Roger Stone, uh, thanks so much for. I know you've had a long day. Appreciate you joining us. Happy to be here. Uh, folks can see me uh, by going to StoneZone.live at five p.m. every day Eastern. 
We do one hour of politics, news, fashion, style, history. Check it out, stonezone.com. Thank you, Roger. Roger Stone. Uh, Let us go to the state of New Jersey, where there were a number of very tight congressional races. Joined now by the editor of the New Jersey Globe, David Wildstein. Uh, David, coming into yesterday, there were two Republican members of New Jersey's congressional delegation. It was thought that they could pick up one seat, maybe two seats, maybe even three. How does it look like uh, the GOP did in the state of New Jersey? So, so what happened is that the, the Democratic redistricting map, the gerrymandered map, did exactly what it was intended to do. It, it served up Tom Malinowski. Tom Kane has defeated him, and it protected three other incumbents uh, uh, that, had, that had been considered marginal. Uh, they've all been reelected, and they've all been reelected by double-digit uh, margins. So uh, the Malinowski-Tom Kane race, which I think even in the New York area, people saw nonstop commercials during Jeopardy on. Right. Um, how tight of a race was that? Well, right now, you know, of course, this is Jersey, so numbers change, you know, you know, by the hour. But right now, Kane's ahead by by a little little under fourteen thousand votes, and that's that's five points, and and you know, that's that's four times the the Malinowski margin against Kane two years ago. So I think fourteen thousand is a pretty good win. So it looks like it, it looks like Kane is going to unseat Malinowski. He's done it. Yeah, I mean, it's done. That is, it is, it is over. Malinowski, you know, was 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 not quick to concede tonight, but there is no path whatsoever to, to, to get him reelected. A- any other key takeaways from New Jersey, be it on ballot propositions or any of the other local offices that were up this year? Well, I'll tell you, one, one takeaway is that it seemed to be that, that more people turned out last year angry at Phil Murphy over, over vaccines and masks and business closures and, that almost propelled Jack Cittarelli into the governorship. More people turned out in anger toward Murphy than they did anger toward Joe Biden. And that surprised me. I mean, I've been, I've been talking to Republicans all night, and it's, it's sort of like, you know, like, dude, where's my wave? I mean, they, were, they all thought that they, they were going to ride in this wave, and there were these local races in, in Gloucester County where, you know, where a guy killed a dog, and it made, you know, a, police, a fire first responder dog, and it made all sorts of headlines. But at the end of the day, not a whole lot of changes, just a lot of status quo. Mm-hmm. You know, I do think Jersey may pick up a, uh, uh, one extra seat. I, you know, you know, Mike Lawler, who who is leading Sean Patrick Maloney. I mean, from his driveway, he can be over the New Jersey line in four minutes. <laughs> so, and, and Lawler, Lawler, from his political consulting days, he's got a lot of friends and a lot of contacts and a lot of admirers in New Jersey. Yeah, so it, it he's looked, the thirteenth congressman. It, it looks like his uh, campaigns may have actually been actually paying Michael Lawler's political consulting firm. Uh, we'll explore that a little bit later, uh, David. Okay. I know you've had a long day. If people want to check out these uh, results, they can go to NewJerseyGlobe.com. Thank you very much, David. Thanks. Appreciate Have a good it. night. Take care. Uh, Anthony Weiner, it's very interesting. Uh, David said something similar to what you said earlier, which is one of the key takeaways, one of the key narratives has been that nothing has changed. Blue states are blue, red states are red, blue districts are uh, blue, red districts are red. Um, in an era of gerrymandering, where we see state legislatures try to move their party increasingly in control of the congressional delegations, do you think that maybe we're not going to see these wild midterm swings like we've seen in the past. Well, there's two phenomena going on. First of all, this is a this is not the time to be asking that because we in New York are going to have a lot of turnover in our congressional delegation because a rather mischievous upstate judge drew, drew the districts. I happen to think in the long term for America, for the better, 
that these races – I'd rather have a whole bunch of square districts that are pretty competitive than ones that are overwhelmingly one party or the other. I think that's better for our process. Um, but I don't know. I see, This might be the new normal, that midterm elections have these super high – look, you – you, you never used to be able to walk the streets and have people talking about midterm elections. Mm. Now it has become a thing that everyone's involved in. It looks like some of the polls were off because young voters got involved more. I think ultimately this is a good thing that people are becoming engaged. The interesting thing about the New Jersey case is the Murphy example compared to the Zeldin example. You wonder what would have happened if Zeldin quietly didn't peak – two weeks ago or didn't start to have the New York Post every day and didn't start to have like Sid every morning say Zeldin, Zeldin, Zeldin. If he more quietly said, I'm going to sneak up on these guys with a two by four, um, might it be a closer race? Once it becomes red versus blue in any state, I think you're going to start to have some predictable outcomes in the states like New Jersey and New York. It's going to mean a lot of people net are going to be voting for Democrats. The big number I'm waiting and would probably take till Saturday or Sunday to get is the percentage of Republican voters and the percentage of Republican seats in Congress. If it's the same or very similar, that's good for America. Mm. Recently, places like Wisconsin, where you have 65% of the seats in the legislature but only 45% of the votes, that's not good for America. Well, so yeah. uh, what he just yeah. mentioned, I want, to, I want to follow up with you guys on – and let me begin with you, Larry. And yeah. Larry Sharp is here. John Tobacco is here. So we have an era – we're in a system where because there's winner-take-all elections, yep. wh- whatever party that wins by one vote with a plurality, they get to run the table. In Correct. New York, for instance, it looks like about 40% of New Yorkers have voted for Republican governance in the person of Lee Zeldin and the other people mm-hmm. on the slate, Joe Pinion and others. And yet there is still one party rule in New York, Democratic right. governor, Democratic state legislature. Would we be better off? Would democracy be better off? Would the country be better off if states or cities would move towards a proportional representation system kind of like what Israel or Japan has? Well, uh, let me cover two things. The Zeldin piece first. I agree with, uh, with Anthony on that one 100%. And, but he couldn't. Zeldin was running out of money. So to raise money, he's got to make a big thing. He's got to do the big deals so he can raise the money. So he was running out of money. That's why he did what he did. Otherwise, I think you're right. It would have been better to sneak up because as he was so excited. Now Democrats got excited and they showed up. And when the Democrats show up, there's three, almost three to one Democrats, Republican. Republicans going to lose. There's too many Democrats that show up. I think you're absolutely yeah. correct in that one. He was sneaking up on him because, he was. as I mentioned, I was spending a lot of time in Nassau County mm-hmm. um, campaigning for Kara uh, and, and other candidates working with the whole party there. They got a machine going, yep. right? And I was going out every day at 7 o'clock in the morning putting up signs yes. for Kara, okay? And I kept saying... There's not one Hochul sign around here. Mm-hmm. There's not one Mikel Salagi sign. Yep. Uh, the here. yard sign argument. Okay. No, I'm no, so no, over no, the yard sign saying, argument. I'm just yeah. I don't see anything from right. the incumbents, yeah. right? And yep. I'm like, hey, yeah. we are sneaking up on them. They don't even think people are organizing on right. the assembly races because they're overwhelmingly beating us in registration. But all of a sudden, about 10 days ago, mm-hmm. I saw these joint signs, yep. Hochul Mikhail Salag. Yes. Right? So they made one big sign with Hochul and the assembly person. Yep. Right? And they did it in different districts. And all of a sudden, they started popping up everywhere. And then the I cheapest agree. putting the ground signs that you can get like 24 hours start popping up everywhere. Uh, so, so they were alerted, I would say, so on I, the ground. I, yeah, 10 I agree with to 14 days ago, they started putting out signs that said, holy mackerel. 
this little guy from Suffolk County may actually sneak up on us. So, and again, I them. do want to talk to the promotional piece, though, and I think that's critical. The, the, look, you still want your executives to be winner-take-all, right? Your executive is still your executive. But it would be amazing if we could do it maybe in New York City or maybe – because the problem with New York City is it's six to one Democrat to Republican. But that's not exactly how many you – know, I mean what's the, uh, the the council? It's far more than six to one, right? right. Well, I, I mean you're exactly right. And that's exactly the reason New York City used to have proportional Correct. representation. I think we should go back to that. I agree. Um, to elected <laughs> city council. Yes. Because um, then you know what? But we'd also, we'd also, we'd have a libertarian such a wonk too. that you'll try to figure out every – political theory and put it into practice well, if, somehow. If, if you want to snap your fingers and do something, go to the British system and federal government. The parliamentary system, whatever party controls, they get to do what they want. But if they're unpopular, they can get rid of their leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, I envy I the British that. right now. I, I envy the British lo- being able to toss out their leader. Because there's no way Biden that. would have survived. There's no way Trump would have survived. And I think the, both parties would have been better off and the country would have been better off. And then whatever you accomplish, you put it up to the voters <laughs> and if you did fine, you did fine. And, you know, and, and, and very rarely stays for very long. So if you want to snap yeah. your fingers and do something, I would do that. 800-848-9222. Go ahead, John. We Frank, the, last word. The, the British, you know, we, we beat them for a reason, <laughs> right? But I don't think it was because of the some, No, no, no. But they, they, they do have some really good ideas, as, as Anthony was pointing out. And I also like the way they do regulation. Over there, like securities regulation and stuff. They basically say, here's the bright lines. Don't go outside them. By the way. And I, do everything I got in one here. For you, John. Imagine if they had, had President's Question Time. Joe Biden had to stand for questions. <laughs> yeah, or Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah. I mean, I'd pay cash money to see well, that. You know, I'd pay when to McCain see. was yeah. running, yes. he said he would do that. And Obama did it once, if you remember. I, I think he might have even been in Congress at the time. But he, I think he did it with the Republicans. You know, uh, McCain said he would do it with everybody. Uh, 800-848-9222. Larry Sharp, John Tobacco, Anthony Weiner. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano here with John Tobacco, Larry Sharp, and Anthony Weiner. Uh, in terms of where we go from here legislatively, uh, Anthony, you indicated that you thought there was a possibility that Kevin McCarthy would be out as the Republican leader and that he may not become Speaker of the House. He does have sort of an unwieldy caucus. What do you think this means for the legislative leaders? McCarthy, uh, your old uh, friend Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and uh, everybody else involved in the congressional representational leadership. 
Well, I don't see much of a chance that Nancy Pelosi decides to, she wants to be minority leader. I think Hakeem Jeffries has a very good chance. Really? What I'm hearing from my colleagues, he kind of fits the bill, a fairly moderate African-American guy. The one problem is he's from New York. Chuck's from New York. I don't know, you know. Hakeem Jeffries well, by the standards of the Democratic, by the, what? By the standards yeah, of the Democratic AOC, caucus, oh, yeah, oh, oh. you know what I'm saying? Like, you remember oh, this by is that standard. Okay, this is well, who votes? Who votes for the Democratic <laughs> leader? But other Democratic members? Yeah, I, I yeah. think. I mean, McCarthy is not a big thinker. He's a nice guy. He's not a big thinker. He doesn't have the unifying agenda that a, that perhaps Newt Gingrich had. So I think he's going to have a really tough time with those guys. And, and, and as far as the Senate is concerned, you know, Chuck Schumer keeps chugging along and that's, that's good for us. I do disagree. I like though. Trump as a speaker, honestly. Oh, that'd be great. Oh my I God. Love it. We would get, I love it. I think he's going to be so angry yeah, that his, that his apprentice did not perform and he's going to want some leadership <laughs> right away. Every day. And he's going to say, I, 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 we got more Trump McCarthy, every day. I don't think that's going to You're fired. Happen. I don't think oh, that's going to happen. Matt Gaetz, uh, Marjorie uh, Taylor Greene. Uh, McConnell. Put what about McConnell? It seemed like Trump uh, was urging McConnell to be overthrown in favor of Rick Scott. Uh, you think that's a possibility? Look, M- McConnell is, a, is not a great force as far as I'm concerned for the country. He's a Republican, but he is good. His colleagues like him. And his yeah. colleagues, he does their bidding. So uh, I, I think you're going to have some conflict there with 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 um, Trump, but Trump's not going to get re- going to get elected again. So it's a moot point. Uh, putting aside uh, the last comment, the future of the legislative leadership, McCarthy, Pelosi, Schumer, where do you see it going, John, Larry? No, I mean, I, I think Pelosi's going to go off into the sunset. I mean, uh, I don't I don't think she's going to want to be in a minority role. I think there's a lot of stuff going on on that side. I don't think McCarthy's the right guy to lead the party. And um, I think Anthony's 0 for 2 on Hakeem Jeffries and also on Mitch McConnell. He said he thinks his colleagues like him. I don't think anyone likes him, quite frankly. And I don't think Trump likes him. And at the end of the day, whether Trump's candidates fail or lose, he's going to be, to me, the big hammer in the race. And I think Mitch is, to me, he's got to go. Larry, got to be somebody. Yeah, I, I think I agree with both, with both gentlemen. I think that um, I don't think Nancy Pelosi wants to take a loss, right? If she actually tries to run, she may lose. I think she might just walk away, let someone take over. I think Hakeem Jeffries is is hungry. He'll do it. I think people like him. I think he'll probably he'll probably be the next the next one. I think Trump will decide whether or not Mitch uh, Mitch or anyone will be around. I think Trump will be the one to decide. He's, no, that's, he's that's that's not the way legislatures choose their leaders. It's not the way the way they, they want the opposite. They want someone who's independent of the executive. If if he comes in and puts his finger on the scale. That's going to make no, it easier for McConnell. Na- like from now, not not from even being an executive, just his influence. I think no, Trump will have a lot of influence. Remember, senators get elected for six years. They yep. don't care what Donald Trump says until it's time for them to run for office. True. Good point. Uh, we'll keep an eye on these races in uh, Arizona, Nevada, and Wisconsin. It looks like Georgia is definitely heading to a runoff. As it stands now, Arizona has the uh, Democrat uh, Mark Kelly leading with about 56 percent of the vote. Blake Masters uh, appears to have about 41 percent of the vote at, at this point. I'm not sure I understand why they are not calling this race yet for Kelly, uh, Wisconsin, you can understand the margin there, pretty narrow. Uh, Nevada, it looks like um, it looks like the Republicans are trailing in that race, but still pretty narrow. Uh, Anthony, can you explain this at all? Why would they not be calling Arizona for Kelly? It, it could be a function of they had some early problems with voting machines in Maricopa yeah. County. 
that they are that they have. They, it was actually it was actually printers. It was actually not, not the machines. It's the printers. Yeah. So that might be something to do with it. I don't know. It you know this stuff takes a while. You know people are like oh my god it takes so long. No, I mean it, this is always the way it is. Remember last time we, in 2020 it was not until Saturday. Mm-hmm. Here we are Wednesday morning. It looks like we're going to have this nailed down. Um, but I, I think Kelly's going to wind up wind up winning, and then and then if if Mastro wins in in Nevada. This is turning into a very good day for Democrats because we don't have to worry about the runoff then. It, it is interesting. A- anything you want to add finally, Larry? Before yeah, we no. Run? The one thing I want to bring up is what people aren't talking what I think is a most important piece, which is Utah. You know, the idea of, of McMullen obviously having any attempt at, at beating uh, Lee. Like Lee won his last race by 40 points. And now he'll still win, right? But it won't be by 40 points. It'll be like 10 or something like that, whatever it will be. It won't be 40 points. And this is basically the Democrats realizing it's four to one, you know, Republicans and Democrats in Utah. Why bother running a statewide, you know, candidate? Let's just back an independent because the D in Utah is toxic like the R is toxic here in New York. And I think the states that are going deep blue and deep red have to think about putting independence up. Well, well I mean, you know what, I, what I'm, I'm watching? It looks like Pelota in, in, uh, in Alaska is going to mm. pass 50 percent. Which shows the what ranked choice voting does. Yep. It makes consensus candidates that both people wind up feeling invested in, 100%. both sides wind up feeling and it also shows partisan Sarah Palin, they didn't like her. Yep. And as it as it turned out, ranked choice voting wind up helping kind of get a more independent kind of person. Uh, John, a uh, closing thought um, on this year's elections, either nationally or locally. No, I just think the main goal to me, I had outsized expectations. Um Get the House, stop the spending. At least we can stop spending bills getting jammed and the Fed printing too much money. John Tobacco, okay. see him Saturday nights on Newsmax TV. Larry Sharp, uh, who knows, maybe coming to a ballot near you. And host of the Sharpway Show. And uh, Anthony Weiner, Keys to the City podcast. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. This is the morning after, the morning after midterm election day. We are analyzing the results of yesterday's elections. It looks like the Republicans have won the House of Representatives. It looks like the Senate is still too close to call. I don't know that we'll know who, which party's in control of the Senate by the end of this broadcast. It appears uh, the Republicans have at least 48 seats. The Democrats have at least 48 seats. Arizona, uh, they're not making a call on that. Georgia, it looks like, is heading to a runoff. Uh, Wisconsin, it looks like, is still too close to call. And Nevada appears still too close to call at this point. In New York, a race which was uh, thought to be getting pretty tight towards the end. The race for New York governor has resulted in, I think, what can only be described as a hokal landslide. Uh, they will retain control of both houses. It, the Republicans uh, have lost two state houses that they were in control of. Uh, the Republican governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan, is uh, was not up for uh, he, he was not running this year, and so the Democrats have retaken the governorship in Maryland. Same thing in Massachusetts. There was a Republican governor there, Charlie Baker. He didn't run for re-election. 
and uh, the Democrats have uh, taken the governorship in Massachusetts as well. Uh, We're keeping you posted on a lot of these races. Obviously, one race that got a great deal of attention was the U.S. Senate race in Pennsylvania. Uh, You had uh, Pat Toomey retiring. This was a red seat, a Republican seat. And it appears now that after a very hotly contested race between Republican Mehmet Oz and Democrat John Fetterman, it appears Fetterman was victorious. Here's a little bit of Fetterman from his victory speech a few hours ago. We launched this campaign almost two years ago. And we had our slogan. It's on every one of those signs right now. Every county, every vote. Every county, every vote. And that's exactly what happened. We jammed them up. And uh, joining us in studio to discuss it is John McDonough, uh, one of my favorite people to talk to, longtime radio talk show host. He's also a playwright, a comedian, and a cab driver. Generally tends to be somewhere on the leftward end of the political spectrum. Not always. He's uh, pretty unpredictable. Hello there, John. Good to see you. Thanks for having me up here. I got my beauty sleep and I'm ready for the (laughs) the next hour. I appreciate the attentiveness with which you listen to every minute of the program. Uh, Joined as well by my old friend Jaden Horan, a uh, longtime conservative commentator and journalist, and these days the editor in chief of a new pump publication called Swan Yay. Jaden, it's great to see you again. Yeah, great to be here, Frank. Hey, uh, Jaden, you are one of the many right leaning New Yorkers that fled New York for the Sunshine State, the state of Florida. You got your tan to show for it. Uh, the governor of Florida reelected overwhelmingly, I think, uh, exceeding just about everybody's expectations. Uh, is part of the reason Florida has gotten so red because so many people from New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania have moved down there because they want a red state to live in? Yeah, that's part of it. And also, I think, you know, what what we've seen is that the Cuban vote in Florida uh, was always uh, leaning conservative and younger Cubans were supposedly going liberal under Obama. But what we have seen is other immigrant groups including Venezuelans and Colombians and Puerto Ricans, they have mirrored the voting habits of Cubans and further made Florida a red state. So we imported voters, the right-leaning voters from the Northeast, and we minted new right-leaning voters Hmm. in Florida. That's what happened. uh, What is your publication, Swan Ye? What is that? It is a free speech, free expression, fashion and culture magazine. And we're predicated on ideas, artists, and ownership. So we are the anti-Vogue. We are looking <laughs> to create a space for actual creatives and actual designers to talk about their art. And it really, it's for anyone to the right of woke. So if you don't buy into the bull that you, you get fed from the left, and I'm not just talking about the left political left, the cultural left, that has a monopoly on what goes on in fashion and culture in this country – then this publication is for you. But I can be a Democrat or a left-leaning uh, person and still find something to enjoy yeah, in Swan Yeh. And uh, what's the website if people want to check it out? It's www.swanye.co. So S-O-I-G-N-E.co. All right. Let me ask uh, first your key takeaways in terms of this election. It seemed to be going into yesterday that the conventional wisdom was that this was going to be a red wave. The only question was how big a wave this was going to be. Uh, I don't know if you can characterize a narrow Republican majority in the House and uh, still an inconclusive Senate and losing a couple of key governorships as a red wave. How do you guys see it? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think right now what we're seeing is that for the first time in probably a decade, the polls have been startlingly, startlingly accurate. Right. Like we saw that the polls were projecting between one percent to four percent Republican uh, victory and taken in aggregate what we see between Florida and New York and and places in like California. We are seeing that there's a larger percentage for Republicans. But what we're seeing countervailing trends in places like Pennsylvania, what we're seeing in Arizona and Georgia is that there's less so in aggregate, we're looking at 1% gain. So there is no red wave because the polls were right. Two things can simultaneously be true, Frank. We can have voters that care about inflation and the economy and about abortion and threats to democracy. John McDonough, do you share Jaden's view that the polling was right going into this election? Uh, no. I, I mean, if you were listening to any of the right-wing talk shows throughout the country, they, they were just – this was a red wave. It turned into a red ripple. I mean – and, and to me, it, it was a referendum on Trump and some of the candidates he picked, particularly in Pennsylvania. You had a guy who could barely speak with a stroke. He was His running thing was uh, he's recovering and running. Now, you would never have a pilot say having a stroke <laughs> to say, well, I'm going to fly while I'm recovering. I don't mean to but laugh. But, it was yeah. so horrible that he picked this Dr. Oz. And the reason he picked him, and, and I remember him saying, he goes, do you know what? When he was on TV, he got great ratings. What, what does that have to do? With running for the New York Senate, he's picking people that are like him, that are reality show people and not people say that are grassroots that came up in Pennsylvania. And now here you have a guy who should have been on a gurney brought around through the state of Pennsylvania and still beats uh, the Republican candidate. Well, to your point, you know, I think one of the people that was sort of trying to capture the uh, the celebrity appeal of Donald Trump on a state level was Carrie Lake running for governor in Arizona, and we still don't have a call on that race yet. But as of now, she is trailing Hobbs, the Democrat that was running there. It looks like Lake has about 44% of the vote based on the returns that are in now. I, I, that is a race that really surprised me. I saw her winning that that race. And uh, I'm wondering if uh, if you guys felt the same way. Did you think she was going to pull that out? And are, are you as surprised as I am that she's trailing at this point? Well, I mean, those are the early votes in mostly Maricopa County. And what one thing we do know about Arizona is they do tabulate those early votes first and then same day, uh-huh. uh, same day totals come in later. And overwhelmingly moderate and uh, Democratic voters vote early, especially in Arizona. It's something skewed like 60, 70 percent. And Republicans vote on Election Day. So we actually don't know, which is why they're not calling it. We don't know what Arizona is going to do, because with the irregularities in Maricopa this morning, the loss of the lawsuit to extend voting times, people still waiting in line an hour after voting in Maricopa County or hour after the polls closed to vote in in Maricopa County. We don't know. And to your point, I think. Having people who are candidate selection is crucial because it creates coattails. When they're good, it creates coattails like Mm. DeSantis and like Zeldin. When they're bad, it creates negative coattails like Mastriano in Pennsylvania, period. It it is interesting. By the way, we are uh, being told that there's a significant amount of Arizona votes that are going to be announced or uh, revealed in the next hour. So we'll bring you those results uh, as they occur. Significant addition of vote counts expected in Arizona. Arizona in the next hour. Uh, You know, you mentioned Lee Zeldin and New York. It is interesting, even though Zeldin, I think, fell well short of a lot of people's expectations. It's looking like the Republicans uh, may pick up as many as 
four U.S. House seats. Uh, it looks like they're poised to pick up the Tom Swazi seat in Long Island, the Kathleen Rice seat out on Long Island, the um, Sean Patrick Maloney seat in the Hudson Valley, and uh, maybe even this uh, newly created seat that uh, Mark Molinero was leading in upstate. Um, would you characterize this, John, as a good night for Republicans in New York? I, I would say it's mixed. I just wanted to go back to, to how I, I voted and how I came. And I didn't realize how and why I voted for Lee Zeldin until I listened to his show up the dial uh, of a guest that was on just before you, the lawyer for Lee Zeldin. And he was bragging about how he knocked off all the parties on on the, the ballot. So I went to vote uh, in Queens at the Atlas Mall, which is on Cooper Avenue between Middle Village and Glendale. So I was going in looking for my Jimmy McMillan, my the right. rent's too sure. damn high, because I I was going for the FU vote this time. So I get in there, and there's two candidates. There is nothing else. Right. I, That's I had, the, f- it's the first time since 1948 that a, that was the And case. the lawyer had said, he goes, we are going to get the protest vote. And that that was me. I was the perfect – so I didn't realize that I would be ending up voting for Lee Zellin because I didn't want to leave it empty. And I had no other choice. I didn't have the rents too damn high. I didn't have the Libertarian. I didn't have the Green Party. I didn't have any of those parties. And I was so pissed at Hochul when she made the statement that I was a data denier about <laughs> crime. So now she's lumping me in with uh, Trump supporters about the election. And she was saying Zeldin was trying to scare me. You know what scares me? I get up in the morning, I look at my laptop, and I watch the videos from the night before of what's going on in the subway. That's not data denial. That's reality. We used to find out about crime in New York. You would watch The Warriors or Death Wish with Charles Bronson. That would give you an idea what's going on in New York. We now have that on a daily basis. This is not data denial. Every morning, it's even worse than watching a movie. When you see the video of someone actually pushing someone in front of a train, that's reality. I'm not denying the data. I'm watching the reality, and I couldn't believe how she was saying that Zelda was trying to scare me. No, you know what was scaring me? was the videos that I watch every morning of all the crimes going on in the city and how I have to adjust my habits now of taking the train and staying on the stairs, not going near the, the platform. Uh, John I mean, McDonough is here. Jaden Horan is here. If you want to call in uh, with questions or comments on anything we're talking about, you can do so at 800-848-9222. Jaden, same question I just asked to John. Is this a good night for the uh, New York State Republican Party or a bad night? I think it's a great night. I think it's a great night because when you mint new Republicans, you're minting a, a larger bench. Right. And you have elected officials then to draw on for future statewide runs, which is what you need. Republicans were on the verge with the previous map that the state Supreme Court threw out of being basically relegated to extinction. Okay, and that didn't happen. And with a pickup of net four of net four in New York, that means Republicans can at least combat what's going on with the Democratic bench. In the future, you they know, can create new stars. It is something. It looks like the Republicans have picked up a seat in New Jersey as well. And uh, to think that uh, in a very narrow state uh, congressional majority, it could be New York and New Jersey that are largely responsible for returning the Republicans to the uh, to the uh, to you know to the majority chamber in the House is really really wild. What do you guys think this means for the future of a Trump candidacy? A lot of the early prognostication have the fact that this is not a red tidal wave as a repudiation 
of Trump. Maybe it's the Mar-a-Lago thing. Maybe it's the fact that he used his influence to uh, pick candidates that weren't electable in seats that were winnable. Uh, what do you guys think this means for Trump 2024, which appears uh, likely to occur on Tuesday? Well, here's the deal. What we know is that divisive elected officials drive turnout, but they drive turnout on both sides. So you have Bolsonaro all the way down in Brazil driving turnout on the left Allowing Lula to win with what? 50%, 51%, he gets 49%. Trump did the same thing with Biden. He drove the left to come out along with his own base. It was record amounts on both sides. What's going to happen if he runs again is he's going to drive the left to come out. What we need to do is have a candidate that drives the left to say, eh, I don't know if this person is the end of democracy. So as a right-leaning voter, are you hoping that uh, that the candidate in 2024, and I hate to make this a 2024 discussion because there's still a lot more uh, road to hoe between now and then, but are you hoping the Republican is Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump? I'm hoping it's Ron DeSantis. Uh, John, but I don't think it should be. Who do you think it should be? I think the party needs to go through and the country needs to go through either – repudiating the Biden-Harris ticket or allowing the Democrats to throw him over the edge and put put in Newsom, which is what they really want. John, do you think the most likely scenario in 2024 is a Trump-Biden rematch? Uh, I, I hope not. I, I mean, we can hold it then at a senior citizen's home. I mean, this is part of what's wrong with our political process. You look at the people running, Biden, Trump, Pelosi, Leahy, uh, Feinstein – Everybody's in their 80s. I, I, I mean, don't forget what, Chuck Grassley. He's yeah, pushing 90. What's the vetting process in order to get into politics now? You have to start at 70 or 80 and to get in. No, I think if Trump runs, he is so toxic that if Fetterman was to run in 2024, still with the stroke, he would beat Trump. You know, people keep forgetting Trump lost by 8 million people the last time. It'll be even more now. Nothing will motivate the Democratic base is to see Trump just like he did this week when he gets up and he calls Pelosi. An animal. I mean, his type of politics will motivate any Democrat to come out. And that's it, it's already happening because the more exposure Trump gets, the, the more wound up everyone's getting. And when he makes his announcement in now two weeks time, it's over. And no, one week. Biden. It's going to happen two one week. Yeah. One week. Six days oh from now. Eight Robert is in Manhattan. Robert, you're here with Jaden Horan and John yes. McDonough. Hello. Yes. Good. Yes. Good morning, gentlemen. I want to uh, Concentrate on Georgia for a minute. To the gentleman, Horan, I believe is his name. I'm assuming he's a conservative. Don't you understand, sir, what went down in Georgia? This is a man, Herschel Walker, who ran around saying no uh, abortion on any, uh, go, wait, wait, you know, wait, uh, no, 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 uh, uh, no exception for rape, no exception for incest. And then it turns out that he forced one or three women to get abortions my friend this is hypocrisy 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 and what hurts is that on this radio station there were people saying well oh well maybe he made a mistake no if you're going to support a point then go for it even if it's popular or unpopular but don't do it and then find out that you're a hypocrite and i'm afraid and remember something gentlemen President Trump was the same gentleman who said that COVID was a hoax. All Remember right. that? 
Yeah, uh, Robert, uh, I don't know that, um, you know, DeSantis's record on uh, on covid uh, is that much more is that much different from Trump. And uh, and Ron DeSantis is, appears headed to a double digit victory in some of the most Democratic parts of the state. Uh, you want to address his comments about Georgia at all, Jaden? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't bring up Georgia, but I think Georgia is a great point to bring up. Raphael Warnock has multiple accusations of domestic abuse and he's a pastor. We want to talk about hypocrisy. Let's just be honest. Politics is full of hypocrites. So if you're going to sit there and say that I saw a Republican, oh my gosh, he's a hypocrite. Well, let's turn around and look. There are lots of Democrats who are hypocrites. There are lots of people who run in the Democratic Party who are, you know, Alcee Hastings was the only impeached federal judge and turned around and won Congress. You know, the Democratic Party had absolutely no problem keeping him in a caucus in a, and he was a committee chairman for, for heaven's sake. So, yeah, this is hypocrisy is the name of the game. At the end of the day, voters have to decide do we want this person to represent us? And right now, I don't think Georgia has made a clear answer. Uh, John McDonough, Georgia is one of those uh, races where and it looks now we're, like we're set, heading towards a runoff there. It's almost like alien versus predator. Whoever wins, uh, no matter who wins, you lose, right? I, but but it's, it is. You're just going to see who's more hypocritical. Is it Herschel Walker? I, I would go back to the vetting process. How does a Herschel Walker get picked? How did he the, – the man can barely speak. He's always invoking God while he's driving his girlfriends to the abortion clinic. I, I mean this – there are more regulations to become a horse in Central Park than there is to become a political candidate. There should be a date. Like, like priest, you turn 65, you're gone. It's over for you. This clinging to power of these senior citizens in these nursing homes, which we call the Congress and the Senate. Well, but but aren't there some uh, older politicians no. that are – well, how about like Bernie Sanders, as energetic I, I, no, as can he be? he should go too. They all should go at a certain age. You know what? They fought for well, pensions. Look, I'm for Why don't limits. you enjoy the pension <laughs> but, that you fought for? I, I, I don't know, Frank. Uh, when they die, do they – pass on the pension or do they lose it that's a good question i think they lose it but right. i think that might so, be a... so here what what do they care they, they should enjoy life come 65 i don't want to see you anymore you know it's funny Jaden. the point john brings up uh, there was a recent article which shows this is the one thing that democrats and republicans tend to agree upon which is that the country's leaders are too old um what, what do you what do you make of that what yeah, we live in a gerontocracy we have we live with rule by old people here's the thing we have an age requirement by which our founders believe that at a certain point you are mature enough to take on the mantle of public service, right? And that's different for each thing, for, for an elected representative, a senator, and president. And yet, because most of them were in advanced age, there was no age limit, right? There was no age limit that after some point, you know, we are not going to entrust 70 80, 90-year-olds with elected office because mm -hmm. we'd assumed that they would go quietly into the good night. But apparently, power is too intoxicating, so they can't do that. They have to hold on it until they freaking die in office. <laughs> with their Nancy Pelosi is going to sit there with the gavel clutched as she slowly recedes into death at 115. All and right. they give it to her daughter. 800-848-9222. John McDonough, Jaden Horan is here. We're going to take uh, your calls in a moment. And we'll check in with Obi Murray, who will join us live from Puerto Rico. Uh, and we'll go down to Georgia. They say the devil went down to Georgia. We're going to go down to Georgia and check in with Martha Zoller. She'll give us the latest on what's happening in this uh, Warnock-Walker Senate race. And uh, tell us if a runoff is inevitable. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's 
the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight i'm frank morano uh there are some clowns to the left of me there are some jokers to the right and i wouldn't have it any other way Jaden horan is here he is the editor-in-chief of a new publication called swanye which is getting a lot of attention a lot of people are talking about it and uh john mcdonough cab driver comic playwright and radio talk show host is here as well uh john generally considered uh, on the left end of the political spectrum but apparently voted for lee zeldin we'll revisit that Where was the FU vote going to go? uh, John, I'm in the same boat. I I, uh, was sorry there wasn't somebody else to vote for as well. In in terms of the battle for control of the Senate, uh, this is how it looks right now at the moment. So the the Democratic Party has held New Hampshire. They have flipped Pennsylvania. So if the Republicans hold Wisconsin, which appears likely, they're leading in Wisconsin, they're going to need to flip two of the remaining remaining toss-up races, Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia. We're going to get an update from Georgia a little bit later this hour, and uh, it, it looks like at this point that uh, Arizona, where, which we expect uh, some numbers within the hour as well, it looks like the Democrat is leading there. Nevada still very, very close at this point. We'll bring you any numbers as they Come out. You were talking, John, about uh, Lee Zeldin and why you, even though you know a lot of your career has been around progressive politics and progressive personalities, you ended up voting for Zeldin. It wasn't just a protest vote, though, was it? Yeah, it, it was a protest. Like, I would have voted for the Libertarian or any of the crazy parties that used to be on the ballot. In particular, I bring up Jimmy McMillan with the, sure. the Rents Too Damn high. high. Like, he would never have a hope now with what uh, Cuomo did about uh, how to qualify to get on. But the other thing to me and, and to over 100,000 drivers out there, and even I, I would say a half million between the truck drivers, is this congestion tax. Now, I, I was just over in Ireland and England. When I was in England, I talked to the cab drivers there, and it's up to $50 to enter the downtown London and they allowed electric cars to come into downtown London for free. But now there's so many electric cars coming in, they're now going to charge them the same amount. So it's all very wealthy people that are coming into downtown Manhattan. Now, this might sound strange to your listeners in Alaska, that to go down a certain street in Manhattan, that you're going to be charged 20 to $30 extra. This is going to be a killer. And the London cabbies told me if you live outside of London, you don't come into London anymore. You'll save the $50, take your family to go out and eat in, in Essex or outside of London. And that's what's going to happen in Manhattan. There's nobody going to be coming in from Brooklyn and Queens. 
to, to come into Manhattan, to, to even go to the oh, theater yeah, or I, go to a restaurant. I'll save the $50 and take my family out in, in Williamsburg. It's going to cost Greenpoint. me a bundle to, for the privilege of getting to work every day. Right. I'm not looking forward to it. What about the... us? Is John Katz going to compensate us? Because it's supposed to be 24-7, right? He didn't get so, to be uh, a billionaire by giving out money. <laughs> I promise you that. Uh, Jaden, um, oh, I was surprised that the congestion pricing issue didn't resonate mm-hmm. more in the outer boroughs and the suburbs. Uh, Hochul was still able to win. We don't know the margin of fair victory yet, and it may narrow. But why do you think that congestion pricing issue, which Zeldin did highlight, why do you think that didn't play more of a role in uh, voters in voters voting their pocketbook? I mean, I could say this right now. Uh, I only got on radio and television because of congestion pricing. When it was <laughs> right. initially proposed, that. when it was initially proposed, the nonprofit I worked at, they they we opposed it. We were the original ones that talked and did the research and talked about it. And I will say this. This is a democratic tactic 101. Introduce an issue and then withdraw it mm. and then bring it back because you've moved the Overton window and you've destroyed any potential opposition. There was never an organized opposition against congestion pricing like there should be because it screws the middle class and it screws the working class and it only helps the rich. It's going to create a Manhattan for the rich drivers. Mm-hmm. Well, and a, south, the end. and a south of 60th Street for uh, the same folks. Uh, all right, let us go live to Puerto Rico. We'll be joined by uh, E. O'Brien Murray, veteran political consultant, regular contributor to this program. He's uh, worked for both Democrat and Republican candidates, as well as a number of other entities over the years. Obi, how are things in Puerto Rico? Hey, hold my drink. Hold on a second. Yeah, way to rub it in, pal. Way to rub it in. So, um, how, uh, seriously, though, I know Somos is the big spot for uh, all the politicos to gather in the aftermath of the election. Any uh, any intel in terms of what's happening down there? Not nothing down here with this, but you know, people. Are, I came down a day early just so I wanted to travel today, like a lot of other people. But congestion pricing, there wasn't a bandwidth for it, Frank. Really, what it comes down to is, in a campaign, you've got a chance to talk about two, three things tops, and what the issues are. And crime was such an overwhelming issue, and it, it moved numbers. I mean, if you look at what happened over the past two months, really since Labor Day, um, and people paid attention to it, crime just came out to the forefront, and and Hochul had to come back and. And try to talk in that lane, but there was no room to talk about congestion pricing. And it's really one of those things that until it hits people, mm. they're not going to even even notice it in the commute and so forth. So it is going to be a major issue. Also, don't forget, it's one of those things that started years ago under Bloomberg, the conversation. And it came about eventually, and it got delayed for so long, it was sort of kicking the can down the road. And now you've got the, the past. But now the question is what the pricing is going to be and how it's going to be implemented. So at what point in the de- Democratic primary yeah, was well, going to come I, again, up? I don't want to make the conversation too New York-centric. Uh, yeah. In Nevada, you know, they're listening to us saying, oh, you know, go to hell, all those uh, New Yorkers and New Jerseyans. We don't care if they have to pay $9. What's None. your key takeaway uh, from uh, this year's midterms, Obi? Well, I think if you look at it in the bigger picture again, it comes down to what the Democrats were doing originally for the messaging and where they were. Um, and, and they went with a message right after that Supreme Court decision on abortion. And I actually was talking to Doug Schoen last night about it, too, on some stuff. I've done a lot of work with Doug over the years. Great guy. You know, you've, you've dealt with him before and had him on your show. Um, and I mentioned that there, the money that the Democrats had spent on the abortion issue across the, uh, across the country was really a major amount of money being spent on the get-out-the-vote. The, the voters that voted on that issue were already going to vote um, 
for for the Democrat if they showed up to the polls, and it, it motivated them to come to the polls is really what it comes down to. If you look at a lot of the polling and a lot of the closing across the country, whether it be in Nevada, whether it be uh, California, Alaska, and so forth, it really came down to who showed up to vote at the end of the day. And it didn't come down to any specific issue. And so I think that's the one thing that really that comes out here now is you look at the crime issue, you look at um, across the country the economic issue that really overwhelmed everybody. And and even if you look at the polling from Democrats and what they were doing in, in behind the scenes, there was a lot of conversation about the economy. But there wasn't an answer from the Democrats on how to deal with it. They tried to stay in the abortion discussion because if they talked about women's rights across the board, they felt they would win. And that's really what it came down to at the end of the day. The CNN poll last night that they released that talked about and the exit poll, the issues for everybody across the country, it was the economy. And then crime was about 12 or 13 percent, if I'm not mistaken, across the country. Right. But even when we, even but even when we talk about the economy, though, I, I think what was really, really telling about most of these exit polls is that, you know, it was seven out of 10 Americans have a disfavorable view of the stewardship of the economy by Biden. But at the same time, they did not translate into the stewardship of the economy by the Democratic Party in general. It's as if they're blaming the president solely for what's going on mm. with inflation. And they're not blaming the party that's holding power in Congress that's creating the inflation with their runaway spending. That's that's the disconnect. And Republicans didn't ever make a case to connect how creating and minting money and, and printing all of this, this these bills, the Inflation Reduction Act and and all of the stimulus for the pandemic created this inflation. They never created they never created that connection for voters. So voters only just railed and agreed that inflation is a problem, but they did not agree that Democrats were at fault. So that is that is an issue with Republicans. Republicans did not message on it. And and I think what we're seeing from this is that Democrats message consistently on abortion. And what we find is most Americans hold very interesting views on abortion. They want it either legal, but with restrictions. Or they want it unlimited, except they want just minimal restrictions. All right, uh, Obi, I'm not sure if that there was a specific question there, but if you have a comment based on uh, Jaden's observation, please. Well, no, I, th- I think when you look at that, that too, I, I, the Fetterman race is a great example of this. When you saw the numbers come out at the get-go, the minute the first numbers came out, it, Fetterman had a great lead. And throughout the night, the question was how much Oz would cut it. Those votes were cast before a debate, even at this point. Um, and so when you talk about um, getting that message across, when did that message get across? When did voters pay attention? Early voting starts across the country at various times. In New York, it's a couple weeks out kind of thing. You have absentee, absentee vote, voting. But when would voters get that message across and when did voters vote, I think, is the other question, too. Um, so did, did, and every state's different. How much money was being spent? What happened out in Nevada? When it happened? What happened in Alaska? Uh, early on, when they when they do it, um, every election is different like that, and you you really don't have a November, an October surprise anymore. It's got to be a September surprise, and that's changed quite a bit too. I think when you look at the way the voting is taking place. So um, every year it gets earlier and earlier for when things have to resonate with voters. Um, you have Labor Day, 
and then you have voting starting how quickly. And that's really that's really cut that window down quite a bit, I think, Frank. You've, you've seen that across the country. Yeah, no, you that, start talking about, that's for sure. Yeah, Obi, how toxic do you think Trump storming around the country campaigning for the candidates that he wants, and he picks them as reality show candidates like he did with Dr. Oz and, and him calling Pelosi an animal, and, and now the, you know, you're, you're getting to see Trump for what he is, because, you know, he's been off the scene, you could say, for a couple of years, but now he's coming back to the forefront, and you're realizing why you don't like him. I, I think the challenge with the president was, at the beginning, when you started setting the table for the, for the primaries, uh, that, was, that was a major thing. If you look at Oz, until President Trump endorsed him, Oz had lost that primary. And the question is, who would have done better against Fetterman, then, when you, when you look at that picture? Um, we... Uh, at the end, I don't think anybody heard about Pelosi to speak to, to really mm. um, Pelosi and what the president's comments were in the last days. They did hear him talk about much more. He had a major announcement coming uh, next week, possibly. Um, and so that kind of thing could be something where he was, he was sort of off the scene the last month. And then when he comes back around, they, they wait, realize, wait a second, if, if the Republicans win and do all this, do we get him coming back? That could be a part of it, too. But Really, at the end of the day, everything comes down to what's local and who the candidates were mm. after those primaries. And, who, and it's not just the Republicans then. It's the opponents and who the Democrats put up in that, in that, in that vein. Obi, Remember, yeah, uh, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate the insight. Have fun in Puerto Rico. Make sure you send me a postcard. We'll see you when you're back in New York. Remember, the Democrats also spent a lot of money behind certain candidates to put up the most Trumpish candidate in the that's primary right. as well. Too. That's right. That's a, that's a great point, is uh, the Democrats did elevate a lot of the uh, so-called election deniers, a lot of these Trumpian candidates. Obi Murray, live from Puerto Rico. Let us go live to Georgia, where we are joined by Martha Zoller, a conservative strategist, an activist, a policy, uh, excuse me, Martha Zoller, a conservative strategist, activist, policy expert, and a radio talk show host at WDUN in Georgia. Martha, I know it's been a long day for you, but uh, that's what you get for being at the epicenter of the race that everybody's talking about. Thanks so much for joining us on the radio. It is great to be here with you. Thank you. Martha, uh, how does it look at this point? It looks pretty close. It looks like uh, we're heading towards a runoff. Is it a runoff that's inevitable at this point? Well, it is a – okay, so it looks like it's heading towards a runoff. There are 33,000 votes that are the early votes in Columbia County, which are, is a very Republican county, that are still out there. That's according to the Secretary of State's office. They still have to count those votes. You know, if they break the way the rest of Columbia County broke, uh, it's possible that this might not go to a runoff, but not likely. So I'm planning on – being back on December 6th. That's what I'm planning right now. Um, Go ahead. No, 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 please. Go ahead. No, so I think Herschel Walker, I mean, obviously Raphael Warnock has got to be going. I spent $150 million after this guy who's never been in politics before, and he is only, you know, 40,000 votes ahead at this point in time. Uh, So they did everything they could to take down Herschel Walker. And let me tell you something. While Herschel Walker was slightly helped, by the fact he was a Trump candidate, the reason why he was the guy that got nominated was because he had 100 percent name ID and he was running against a bunch of other people who weren't very well known. So he was going to win this primary. He was probably the only person in America that didn't need the Trump endorsement 
to help him get across the the finish line, if you will, using a football analogy. Uh, But I think we'll go to a runoff there. The governor won handily um, 300,000 more votes than he got in uh, four years ago because he had a fantastic record. Brian Kemp uh, threaded the needle. He stood up to Donald Trump. He didn't call names. He led the state. And people responded to that. And so it it was a it was a great race for him. Uh, Martha, one of the things that we've heard uh, over the last couple of hours from people on the right and on the left is that if uh, the Republicans had nominated a candidate that was a little less controversial, that had a little bit less baggage than Herschel Walker, then the Republicans would have won that Senate seat in the same manner or by a similar proportion that Kemp, the governor of Georgia, won re-election to uh, his, his, his seat. Do you buy that? Do you think if the Republicans ran a safer candidate, albeit one with less name recognition, they'd be in a much better position tonight? Yeah, I really do. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger, ironically, the two people that stood up the most to Donald Trump, but also never called names. They never called Donald Trump a name, even though Donald Trump was calling them names. They just continued to govern. They did the best of any anybody, including John King, who ran for insurance commissioner down ballot. He was that same kind of candidate. Uh, and he's the first uh, uh, constitutional officer born in Mexico that has been elected in Georgia. Those guys did great. Um, Herschel Walker didn't campaign with Brian Kemp, even though they've been friends their entire lives. They had dueling final rallies. I think had they been able to join together, it would have helped. Now, shoulda, coulda, woulda, right? And I've got a cup of coffee here, and that's about what that's worth. (laughs) Uh, But I voted in the primary, and I don't mind saying, for Kelvin King. Kelvin King is a young man, an African-American, had a fantastic story, uh, had a a similar story without all the baggage, being a teenage dad, then coming – to uh, religion and then getting married and building a business and being successful and all that kind of stuff. That's who I voted for because I thought he had the best chance in the primary. But I'm a I'm a what they call a double dog from the University of Georgia. I have two degrees from the University of Georgia. I think the combination of Herschel Walker and Georgia winning the national championship. I mean, because football's like a religion down here, as you know, that really helped Herschel Walker. Uh, do better than anybody thought he could do. I mean, he came within, you know, what, 30,000 votes of Raphael Warnock, and there are 33,000 votes still out there from a very Republican county. So it this isn't over, but I still am not going to be making any plans between now and December 6th. And, and how is the runoff going to be? I mean, it's going to be after Thanksgiving, before Christmas. I mean, people barely come out now here in the midterms for, to vote. Who, who's coming out a week or two before Christmas to vote? And, and, you know, how can you predict that? Because people are just going to be fed up now with the one vote, and then we have to come out just before Christmas again and spending another $100 million or well, how much more money is going to be pumped into this? Because now the whole country will be concentrated just on this uh, race in, in December. Kind of like two years ago, that two years ago, we had a nine-week runoff. And so it was January 5th 
uh, was when we had our runoff and the two Democratic senators were elected. Uh, I think it's tough to get people back out to vote at this time of the year. Um, There has been talk about changing the law in Georgia to have a 45 percent threshold instead of a 50 percent threshold. Uh, But you're right. It's all it's going to be all about getting your voters out. And famously in January of of 2021, the day before uh, January 6th, we had our primary on January 5th. Um, 350,000 Republicans didn't turn back out, but only 150,000 Democrats didn't turn back out. So it's it's a turnout machine. Ironically, the person that lost to Raphael Warnock, Kelly Leffler, uh, started an organization called Greater Georgia, which is really the Republican version of what Stacey Abrams did. And she got a lot of voters out. She did not take her ball and go home. And so she'll be working hmm. to turn out the vote. Uh, Very interesting. Uh, Last question I'll ask, Martha, is the votes for the libertarian candidate in this race. Do you and I realize it's, you know, a small number, but it could be determinative of the outcome. Do you think most of the folks, the the folks that voted for the libertarian, do you think they go for Walker or Warnock in the general election in the runoff election? I think they go to Walker because, quite frankly, you know, they're one of these people, you know, don't bug me about my personal life Mm -hmm. kind of people. And they also do lean Republican. Generally, I think those 80,000 votes, if you want to know the truth, were protest votes uh, against both of the establishment candidates. So I think they're more likely to go to Herschel Walker. But look, um, we did pick up a House seat. Uh, in Georgia, which was good, um, with, with in the sixth congressional district that had been a Democrat district, and uh, there are a number of other districts. I think the second is still too close to call. So, you know, we may pick up two House seats in Georgia, but Lord knows this was not a red wave. Um, we, we read some of this wrong. We've got to start actually supporting the people that think the way we do instead of trying to support people who we think can mess up the other person. And I think we need to do a better job at really communicating our values Mm. and our messages, because I believe Republican values are better for America and get us on the right track. And we need to start acting like that. All right, Martha Zoller, thank you so much. Appreciate the the time. We'll be checking in with you between now and December 6th. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, 800-848-9222. We're going to continue with Jaden Horan and John McDonough on the other side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of Midnight. It's the other side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is a song that a lot of Democrats and Republicans could be singing today. Uh, Democrats may be singing it because they're unhappy with the Republicans gaining control of the House of Representatives. Republicans may be singing it because they were hoping and expecting a broader Republican majority across the board. Uh, We are keeping an eye on the numbers coming out of Arizona and Nevada. 
In Nevada, it looks like the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate there, Adam Laxalt, is uh, taking a narrow lead. It looks like it's about 600 votes, which for a statewide election is razor thin. 74% of the vote in at this point. We'll have an update on uh, Arizona pretty soon. Uh, Jaden Horan is here. John McDonough is here. Uh, Jaden, what should we be looking for as these Nevada numbers come in? Is there sort of a magic number in terms of uh, the vote differential versus the percentage of the precincts that are reporting in that folks will think of as indicative of the ultimate result there? Yeah, I think the threshold is understanding Clark County. Clark County is the biggest county. That's where Vegas is. And Laxalt needs to run roughly equal with Trump in 2016 or ahead. Okay. And right now he's doing that. Washoe County, which is where Reno tends to be slightly more Republican, the, the votes that are there. But what we're seeing, though, is, in fact, that Cortez Masto is actually running behind Biden and she's mm. running behind Hillary. And so that means that in Nevada that, that we're talking about the the balance of the state, which is outside of the two mega counties, could actually make the difference in this. That the in between the middle of nowhere where they dump the bodies in CSI <laughs> Vegas, <laughs> all right, that 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 could decide this election because and these counties are so close. The mega counties are so close. It looks like the Republican is leading. It's still pretty tight in Nevada as well, right? right and it's super tight. Yeah, but in Clark County, in Clark County. Porter's Masters at 51% and Laxalt's at 46. Oh, All right. Yeah. But Biden was at 52 and Hillary was at 53. Uh, so you don't win Nevada unless you win both Clark County and Washoe County. 800-848-9222. We'll squeeze in a couple of quick calls here. Alex is in California. Hello, Alex. All right. Thank you for taking my call. I wanted to say to your two guests, uh, could they uh, restate their analysis, but this time – Instead of treating the uh, the vote as one big collective vote of the four demographic groups, disaggregate that vote by Asian American, Africans, um, European Americans, and Hispanics, and uh, tell me the uh, the observations. Uh, because I, I think when you combine everything all together, it can produce misleading results since the four demographic groups tend to vote quite differently. Uh, you guys want to tackle that? That's uh, above my pay grade as a demographics person that's a, that's a and a bit, numbers that's person. It's a bit deeper than a meta-analysis, but let's break it down real quick. So what we understand is that Hispanic vote, especially in the border areas, is trending to the right. It has been over the last few elections. We know in Florida. We know in the Rio Grande Valley. Um, we know that the Asian-American vote specifically in Orange County, which is one of the highest concentrations of a suburban area, as in not urban Asian-American votes, has been and is trending towards the Republican Party. What we understand from this election is that white voters hmm. in general did not move. They are entrenched in their parties on both sides. There was almost no movement. We know that the black vote specifically in the South is trending towards the Democratic Party and away from the Republican Party. Because most people don't realize this, in many southern states, there is a large proportion of the black vote that has historically voted Republican hmm. traditionally. Uh, John McDonough, anything you want to add there? I'll go along with yeah, what he says. Sounds, know, sounds good to me. 800 <laughs> Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Hi. Hi. Um, I want to uh, uh, remark something to the gentleman I believe he was one of the guests. I don't know if he was in, in the studio or not. 
that said uh, uh, angrily regarding Herschel Walker, who talks about God and so on and so forth, and, and shouldn't depict them because, and he said no abortions, nothing, and at the same time he had three women, you know, uh, he did three abortions. I don't know. I'm not trying to defend Herschel Walker. I barely know who he is, other than a football player or was a football player, professional. But I I, I don't remember a trial. I don't remember evidence. Now, who might have put up uh, fake accusations? Oh, the Democrats, what did they do? What did they do with Kavanaugh? Mind-boggling. They got away with it. That's pure evil. Pure evil. Take an innocent guy, gang rape, in, in, embarrass him for the world and, and, and his family and so on. And let's see, 51 intelligence agents, I believe, swore that it's a... Um, All right, so Charles, your questions about Herschel Walker, let me get John to respond. No, not about Herschel Walker. Oh, it's, it's not. About I... The gentleman making an accusation and, and sticking to it without evidence. And, and, and probably, I, maybe he's guilty, I don't know. But the Democrats who do All right, things John, like... It's only a four-hour show. The, the, uh, the thing all. is... It's, okay. It's not okay. guilty or not guilty. I, I mean, these people came right, it's out. electable or not. And, and, exactly. Yeah, and, and the thing is, he invokes God, and he's running against the minister. Like, I, I am so for separation of church and state. My, my people come from the northern part of Ireland. And let me tell you, once religion gets involved in politics, it's over. And anytime you see Herschel Walker invoking God, and then the Warnock, he's invoking God, and he's a, a minister at a church and getting the congregation to come out. I'm telling you, that's a recipe for disaster and you, you know the, if we can keep religion out of running in politics let's do it all right next two years uh, there's some key local races next year in all over the country and obviously 2024 everything's up including the presidency if you were to give um a one piece of advice to both the republicans and the democrats uh, for the next two years to maximize their electoral prospects what would it be Jaden? Uh, I think Republicans need to understand that unpopularity of the president does not translate into popularity of the Republican Party. And what about uh, what advice would you give the Democrats? I, I think for the Democrats, I would say that if they're looking for a reason that they should have the mantle of governance, it should not be because Donald Trump. Uh, John McDonough, same question. Republicans got to stop picking reality show candidates. It's ridiculous, but basing on you know what what they did on television and with the Democrats, you you got to get more with the working class. Watch the videos in the morning of what's going on in the subways here. Just before I came in. There was an unbelievable fight on the subway there today uh, between a, oh, a FedEx guy. I, I see it all the time. Like, you know, this is really happening. We're not data deniers, us in the working class here in New York City. We know what we're seeing and what we're experiencing on the subway in the streets. They got to get with it. Well, you can uh, see, you could read some of Jaden Horan's work in Swanye, a uh, terrific publication, which is sort of the anti-Vogue, S-O-I-G-N-E dot co, right? Uh, you can uh, hear John McDonough regularly on WBAI. Follow him on Twitter at Captivist. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, we're going to continue. Curtis Lewa is in the building. That means you never know what's going to happen. Letitia Romaro is here. Your influence counts. Make sure you use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, I've been looking for Jesus for a long time. 
Uh, this is the other side of midnight. We are breaking down yesterday's election. Um, there are still a number of very close races that we're keeping an eye on, uh, races which may decide which party controls the U.S. Senate. As of now, it looks like the Republicans have 48 seats. The Democrats have 48 seats. It looks like the Republicans will control the House of Representatives. It looks like they have uh, won at least 220 seats. But no question about it, one of the big winners uh, in yesterday's elections is the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, who uh, alluded to the, the messaging that he used to wide uh, w- open up such a wide victory over the former Florida Governor Charlie Crist in his remarks last night. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. It is looking increasingly like uh, Florida is no longer a purple state. It is looking solidly red, at least for the time being. Here to help us break that down, along with some of the other results we're seeing from around the country, we have a WABC talk show host, the founder of the Guardian Angels, and the former um, Republican nominee for mayor of New York City, although he was sort of a, a never-Trump uh, Republican, Curtis Lewa. Hello there, Curtis. How you didn't recognize I'm wearing my uh, Fetterman, Fetterman hoodie. hoodie. Oh, yeah, that's the, all the rage now. Come on. Yeah, Fetterman has done for the hoodie what you have done for the, the beret. Well, think of it. You have 50 Cent, right? Slim Shady just turned 50, AARP. All the hoodies came out. Trayvon Martin, right? Exactly. Uh, exactly. By the way, uh, that Oprah endorsement helped. Uh, it certainly did. I'm going to ask you about that in a second. Letitia Romaro, veteran political consultant, longtime civic activist, PR specialist, former chairman of the Staten Island Republican Party, former conservative party candidate for borough president, and the former chairperson of Community Board One. And if Curtis is never Trump, uh, she is always Trump, underlined in triplicate. Uh, she's in studio as well. Good morning, Letitia. Thanks for making the trip. Well, thank you, Frank. That's a lot of formers there. A lot of formers <laughs> and a couple have to of get currents. A current. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. The key. As far as you guys are concerned, what are the key takeaways here? A lot of folks were predicting a red wave, a red sweep. Uh, It seems like uh, the Republicans did well, but maybe not as well as a lot of Republican activists were hoping. What do you think, Curtis? I'm looking at Fetterman. I'm looking at Biden. And I'm saying it's the party of the handicapped. And obviously the handicapped persevered. It's not considered a negative. I mean, Biden did well. We just have to admit that. He didn't drag his party down. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, well, look at the results. The analytics are there. Well, first of all, at least Biden has somebody he can speak with now. And Fetterman, they can oh, understand each other. You guys, you guys are rough. <laughs> um, but, you know, look, I, you know, we took the House. I, the Senate is still in question, but I, I think we have a shot there. I mean, I, it looks like we're going to go to December before we understand Georgia. But I think that we did well. I mean, the, the one thing that the country wanted— we think, I think, it showed, is that we take control of the House. We, you know, put some pushback on Biden and his liberal policies. And I think we did that. Now, the hype of, you know, the red tsunami, the red wave, you know, pollsters get it wrong all the time. Um, But I think that we we took enough 
because we've got the lead in the House and we're going to have the majority in the uh, House. Some people are saying that the Republicans would have done better if some of the uh, Trumpian candidates uh, like uh, Bolduc in New Hampshire and uh, Herschel Walker in Georgia, if they hadn't been nominated and if there were um, candidates more in the vein of uh, Glenn Youngkin. And by the way, you can't blame all Donald Trump for that because a lot of Democratic groups were funding the Trumpian candidates in those primaries precisely because they were thought to be more vulnerable electorally in the general election. What do you think these results mean for the future of a Trump candidacy? He's expected to announce his presidential campaign on Tuesday from Mar-a-Lago. If you're Donald Trump looking at these results, are you pleased? Uh, do you think this is a, uh, a shot in the arm of a Trump candidacy or is this a setback? Well, listen, Donald Trump thinks, you know, he's fantastic, right? So I think he's going to look at this and go, oh, I'm going all the way. Um you know, there's there's two th- you know, strains of thought here. Um, you know, Donald Trump actually did the job, and we were better two and a half years ago or two years ago uh, under Donald Trump. Uh, so there are going to be people who are going to want to stick with him. I do think that he won a lot of his primaries. I do think, again, we, we took the House. We're likely going to take the Senate. Um, you know, by huge numbers, no, but we did it uh, in a time when – you know, there was a lot of stuff going on. So I think that um, he probably is going to you know, come out and announce, and I think that everybody's going to clear the field for him. Uh, Curtis, you agree with that? Uh, we were talking with some folks earlier. They said they think DeSantis is running, and uh, there's a direct collision course between DeSantis, or as Trump calls him, Governor DeSanctimonious, and Trump. How do you see it? Oh, we already see that. I mean, look at Trump. Oh, I know more about you than your wife does. What the hell is that crap? What the hell is that crap? I know more about you than your wife does. Well, I think it's an expression. Well, what do you mean know? expression? It means he knows where all the bones are buried. Uh, okay. So right away he's going to go dirty on a guy who's done so well in the state of Florida? I'm sorry. Are you new here? Have <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you met Donald is, Trump? <laughs> and, and is DeSantis just going to take that or is he going to do a Ted Cruz? Oh, I love you, Trump. Oh, my father was with Lee Harvey Oswald and he... He killed JFK. Come on. Republicans need to stand up to that kind of bullying tactic. Well, so uh, that is nonsense. Wiener, Anthony Wiener, who was here and uh, Roger Stone, who called in from Florida, they both said essentially the same thing. And obviously those guys come from very different political worldviews. They both said they think DeSantis runs. And if Trump runs against DeSantis, they think uh, Trump uh, cleans his clock. They don't even think it's competitive. It sounds like maybe you disagree. Well. Obviously, Trump has been damaged. No red tsunami. What what took place tonight? A ripple. We'll call it a red ripple. Uh, so, yeah, DeSantis, if he gets his national team together, can be very imposing. And then, you know, you have some other Republicans who are going to jump in. So let the process begin. But if Donald Trump is going to declare to run for the presidency, remember, it's not about the Republican Party. It's all about Donald Trump. All about Donald Trump. You know, the, but the problem is, is that primary voters are Trump voters now, right? So, uh, you know, they're the most conservative voters, just like, you know, primary voters in the Democrat Party are the most liberal. So Donald Trump owns them, and he owns then the the people, too, that he brought on board that are, you know, disciples. You know, they, they look at him as a god. And so— how, if DeSantis goes against him, he doesn't have anywhere to get votes from. You know, he has to get them from the moderates that don't vote in, mm. de, in Republican primaries, and he's going to get his clock cleaned. So I don't think that he's going to be that 
unwise it, to run against If Trump. people are just tuning in, we're talking with Letitia Romaro, we're talking with Curtis Lewa. If you have comments, questions, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Uh, both of you guys are New Yorkers that have played a pivotal role in recent years in the uh, New York GOP. A lot of folks thought this gubernatorial race between uh, Hochul and Zeldin was going to be uh, either uh, a Zeldin victory or just Hochul barely edged out Zeldin. We still don't know the uh, final total, but it does seem to be a certainty that Hochul's won by a healthy, a healthy margin. Curtis, were you surprised uh, that Zeldin didn't perform better? No, he did a lot better than you could have anticipated. Imagine you're a hardcore Trumper. You voted against certifying the election. You're really strong pro-life. All of those in a blue state generally will knock down a candidate. And then he grabbed onto the crime uh, train, legitimately so. Uh, and Hochul was just thrown for a loop. If he had won, the best person who had done him the best service was Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, because every day the first five stories of every newscast was crime, crime, crime in the media capital of the world. And he did an excellent job. I don't know how he could have done any better knowing the handicaps he has in a predominantly blue state. So I give him a lot of credit. Uh, Remember, he had that one issue. And he just kept talking about that one issue, except he may have peaked a little early. About 10 days ago, I noticed a lot of Democrats Mm. were in the streets. They're giving out palm cards to unions. They were in the projects going door to door. And the street money flowed the last two Sundays. The Holy Rollers. Jesus and Hochul. Uh, Letitia, it does look like the Republicans in New York might have picked up as many as four congressional seats. I don't know the last time that that's happened in uh, in New York State. As a New York Republican, is this a good night for you or a poor night? No, no, it's a good night. And l- let's just go back to uh, Lee Zeldin for a minute. First off, there, uh, as of this count now, and we don't even have all the precincts in, there's five million plus voters in the state in this midterm. There were 8 million in the 2020 uh, presidential election. So this midterm was way up there. He wasn't running just against Hochul. He was running against Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Joe, Joe Biden, all the superstars, right? Obama all came out to this blue state to campaign for Hochul in those last days. So he did fantastic. So far, he's holding at almost 31% in the city, which is phenomenal. We needed 33 to 35, you know, to be able to pull it off, of course. So, but he had coattails and he brought in these. Uh, congressional uh, seats, and not only the congressional seats on Staten Island, he turned an assembly seat red where it's Sam Pirazzola. Mm-hmm. So it is a good night for Hold on. I take some of the credit on okay. Sam's victory. <laughs> I take some of the credit on Sam's victory. A or, piece or, of or some you of the blame, depending on, the, depending on and your And Joseph Tyrone almost won. <laughs> Joseph Tyrone was un- unbelievable. And if you look at that race, I mean, I think he's at 46 or 47 percent or maybe even 48. That was incredible. I he take went a little into- bit of credit for that. <laughs> oh, or a little bit of blame. 800-848-9222. Andy is in Brooklyn. Andy, you're on with Curtis Slewa and Letitia Amaro. Hello. I was very surprised at Curtis's comment about Donald Trump. Uh, first off, there is no GOP without Donald Trump. Okay, he is the only force that can withstand the concentrated power that has been leaning against everything conservative and everything right wing. There is no other individual 
not even a DeSantis that could stand against that type of influence other than Donald Trump. So without Donald Trump, you don't see any house. You don't see any. Uh, Hold on. What is this idolatry? What what is wrong with you? He's the only Republican. There were Republicans before Donald Trump. There'll be Republicans after Donald Trump. This idolatry stuff is what's going to get the Republican Party in trouble. You've got a wide range of very eligible candidates out there who ought to be given an opportunity if Donald Trump wants to run, obviously. But why say, oh, DeSantis, you shouldn't run. Uh, he he hey, should Katrina. be encouraged to run. Uh, Katrina, why don't you, uh, you know, relax a little bit. First of all, the Democratic Party has never, ever in its history been this powerful and influential. Okay, so what you can't the hell are you talking about? They, they just lost the House Where of Representatives. Where is your history? You had FDR for four terms. Are you out of your mind? No, I think you're out of your mind because we're on the verge of a nuclear war and no one is talking about it. We're having 100,000 deaths from fentanyl because we have no border and no one is talking about it. Okay, that is the media controlling the minds of the public. There is only one force that exists out there fighting back against it, and its name is Donald Trump. Hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah. Thank you, Andy. Jesus eight, Christ, eight, God the Father, eight, God eight, the Holy nine, Spirit, two, two, two. and Donald Trump. Uh, Curtis, I hear Star Wars music uh, in the background after who, that. Who's your first choice for president at this point? I have none. I want to see debates. I want to see primaries. Well, why am I going to make a choice now? Right, well, How far away okay. are we? Um, uh, Letitia, if you had to pick, who do you have a first choice for president at this point? I, you know, honestly, I, I'm a realist, and I think Donald Trump is, you know, I think he needs to come back and finish what he did. I, you know, look, he had this country humming. I don't care if you don't like him. I don't care if you don't like what he said. I'd rather have the orange man with the nasty words and my 401k at a million dollars than have, you know, the, the supposedly peace broker and my 401k at $300,000. Right, we're going to talk with Adam Weiss in just a few minutes about the messaging of that uh, that took place from all the candidates. And uh, a little bit later, we're going to go uh, to Maryland, check in with Sean Casey, the uh, co-host of The Morning Show there. And uh, he's on WCBM, another one of our great stations. The messaging nationally was very interesting. The Democrats seemed to focus mostly on the abortion issue. The Republicans seemed to focus on the kind of trifold issues of inflation, the border, and crime. You know, years ago in politics, the old expression was all politics is local. Based on the Senate races, based on the congressional races, even the gubernatorial races, it doesn't seem like a lot of local issues were determinative here. It seems like almost everybody was trying to nationalize these races and focused on national issues rather than local ones. Do you guys think we're in sort of a new era that when it comes to all politics being national? No, I think that the the Democrats needed that abortion issue to drive people to the polls. In 2004, um, George W. Bush used uh, the abortion issue to drive people to the polls when he was kind of in trouble. And that's what we saw here. I mean, you know, all of a sudden documents leak out of the Supreme Court. We've never seen that happen before. So this was planned, you know, and this was, you know, is cultivating you know, voters to come out to vote. And it worked because we had a midterm election that was darn near close to a presidential election turnout.
Yeah, I think we saw the continuation of the blue collar moving red and the college graduates like yourself, Frank Morano, NYU graduate, moving totally blue. It's a clear distinction now. The Democrats want people who've graduated from college, uh, who have their degrees, and a lot of people who feel left out by that are moving towards the Republican Party. Most people do not have a college degree in the United States, and the Democrats have forgotten those people, and they are retaliating by voting red. 800-848-9222. By the way, one of the other races that uh, we're keeping an eye on is this uh, Los Angeles mayor's race, which is pretty interesting. You had, uh, obviously, a whole bunch of uh, racial tensions there because of the uh, leaked audio regarding the city council speaker who was forced to resign, uh, escalating tensions between the black community and the Hispanic community. And you had, as the final two candidates in L.A., Karen Bass, a uh, black woman, against Rick Caruso, a Hispanic billionaire and former Republican who ran largely on the crime issue. That race appears to be super close with Caruso leading slightly only about 14% of the vote in at this point, but uh, so far Caruso has over 50% of the vote with uh, Karen Bass uh, trailing and uh, looks like that's going to be a tight race. I don't know that we'll have a winner uh, on on that race uh, anytime today, but I'm wondering if this represents a new breed of Democratic candidate. Um, As you know, Curtis, Eric Adams, at least uh, in terms of rhetoric, said a lot of things that you don't traditionally hear from Democrats when he ran for mayor of New York against you. Rick Caruso sort of used that same playbook. Dennis Kucinich did the same thing when he tried to run for mayor of Cleveland. Are we seeing a new era of Democratic Democrats running for office as Democrats, but sounding like Republicans? Well, because they win it in primaries. So obviously they're going to say, well, we can't go further, any further to the left than some of the mayors in these cities, in Philadelphia, in Chicago, in St. Louis. So why not take the moderate uh, moderate uh, line? They feel that they win their elections in the primaries, and in the urban areas, they generally do. Uh, what about that, Letitia? Do you think in some ways this, this whole election cycle has been a repudiation of progressivism? We don't see a lot of people running for office in uh, red, in uh, blue states, in blue counties, or in purple counties running unabashedly as the uh, defund the police candidate, as the AOC candidate. We see candidates seemingly try to run almost like Tim. Ryan ran in Ohio as a little bit more of a new breed kind of a Democrat. Yeah, a blue dog Democrat. Like, I, I do. I think that, you know, the the one thing that Curtis just uh, talked about was that most people don't go to college, right? But but the Democrats are pandering to the college you know, sect um, and they've left behind the average blue collar workers uh, and the average people. And I, I think that what we're going to start to see or, or what this uh, midterm is going to show having control of the House and having control of the Senate or, um, that they need to come back to the middle because the stuff that they are pushing has cost them the Hispanic pop, uh, vote. It, it has cost them the, the suburban women that they had on lockdown. Um, it's cost them a lot of votes. So I do think that we're going to start to see some more blue dog Democrats. Tulsi Gabbard left the party because, you know, the party left her in essence. And it's left a lot of Democrats. 800-848-9222. Rob is on Staten Island, uh, a place that uh, both Curtis and Letitia know quite well. Hello, Rob. Good morning. I can't agree with Curtis more. Well, try uh, the, uh, the regarding the Trump issue. I every Democrat I know, 
they're like anyone but Trump. There's a lot of things I love about Donald Trump. Of the, he's got huge balls. He has so many good things, but there's too many bad things. He's tainted at this point. And anyone that talks to him talks about him like he's a god. I don't even know what to say. That, and I know plenty of them. But if everyone I know, every Democrat I know. Anyone but Trump. He, I would, if I was running, I would not have him back me at all. I think DeSantis is on the right page, and that's all I have to say. Great show. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Rob. You know, Curtis, I do think it depends on the district. There are some areas, some states, some communities where having Trump's imprimatur really does help you. I think Staten Island might be one of those places. Yeah, but if you're the Democrats, you want Trump to run again. Mm-hmm. You can beat Trump. Even without Biden. So you want Trump to run. They're looking at this and they're loving every second of it. They uh, are loving every second of it. Leticia, anything you would uh, add there? You know, I, I think that um, we're going to spend these next I'm, – I'm all tongue-tied because I'm so aggravated. We're going to spend <laughs> these next two years still fighting Biden's policies. I mean, you know, we, we need to see what's going to go on in these next two years. If we can't get those leases on the, on the federal land for drilling, if we can't get more oil out of the ground and, and start to become oil independent again, um, then, then Donald Trump, will be able to walk back in because if the price of gas goes up any higher, if this winter we don't have the home heating oil that we need, which is going, is a real possibility, there's going to be an opportunity for Trump to come back and people to say, listen, I know what he did as president. I'm going to give him a shot again. Well, I think, uh, Latish, uh, people hate Biden. They hate Trump. So the best thing for both parties, out with the old and with the new. Get people in that nobody hates. Because hate drives people to the polls, as we saw in the last presidential election. Unprecedented voters on both sides. Because when you talk to the Biden people, they hated Trump. When you talk to the Trump people, they hated Biden. In terms of uh, the future of the GOP, one of the things that I think is interesting is that DeSantis won in Florida uh, in a landslide. He won big in Miami-Dade County, which has historically, as you both know, been a very Democratic-leaning county. Uh, but a lot of the Hispanics that uh, are in part of the electorate in Miami-Dade, they voted Republican. Here in New York, um, we saw in your mayoral race, Curtis, you winning a lot of Democratic assembly seats that were primarily Asian districts. We saw that at play this year, as uh, poorly as Lee Zeldin might have done in New York City. He actually helped deliver, or whatever the case may be, the Republicans won several state legislative seats in New York City. It looks like Peter Abadi, who's been in office for almost 40 years, looks like he's lost. It looks Who, like Who's guy? Lester <laughs> Chang, right? Who was there well, for Lester this, Chang? This is what I'm saying. Give me a little bit of credit. It, it looks like Stephen Simbrowitz, a uh, Democratic Assembly member, it looks like he's out. It looks like there's this whole cadre of Russians, Hispanic, Chinese and Hasidic Jews that have been voting that are been voting Republican. And I'm wondering if the future of the GOP is with these emerging minority groups. I mean, look, give uh, New Yorkers and folks from New Jersey a little credit for DeSantis doing so well also. Yeah, because look at how few Republicans there are here in New York City now. Yep. Well, there was 8% when I ran. I think there was 13% when uh, Molly Atakis ran. Yep. I think there was about 18% when Loder ran. Yeah, Republicans are either dying off 
or moving to Florida. So uh, come on, they let's give credit to New Yorkers and New Jerseys who moved to Florida because they probably voted for All right, uh, we're going to continue with Curtis Lee with Letitia Romaro. We'll also take your calls, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. You say you want a revolution. Well, you know, we all want to change the world. John Lennon uh, singing about a revolution. A lot of Republicans think that uh, a House majority may lead to a revolution. Curtis Lewa is in studio with me. So is Letitia Romaro. Adam Weiss is a uh, veteran political strategist and uh, public relations executive. He's the CEO of AMWPR. And uh, Adam, I'm curious as to your takeaway in terms of what messaging was effective for Republicans and Democrats, not only in New York, but nationally. What's your key takeaway on the race here? Uh, nationally for the House members or the governor's race? or both? Well, either one, both. You know, it's pretty much it was a toss-up, and we all thought that, you know, the momentum because of the issues in the economy were going to favor the Republicans. But, you know, as it was, the ground, we've become such a uh, complacent uh, society that it seems like you no know middle anymore. It seems like the the game of politics has been so fragmented that the base just comes out on both sides, and it's us. It seems like almost the exact same election, the same results that were for Trump are happening for Fetterman, are happening for Oz. And it's like, you know, you spend two, we spend two years in this cycle of these ads, this 24-hour cycle, and we're almost at the same exact place that the election happened last time. It's like... Well, yeah, no, Anthony we, Weiner made that. What are we learning here? It's like this never-ending cycle of campaigns here. Yeah, and no, Anthony Weiner made that same point, which is that one of the key takeaways might be that nothing has changed from two years ago. I know you were a bundler for Lee Zeldin. I know you uh, donated some money to Lee Zeldin. If you were uh, offering advice to the Republicans running in two years, be it a Republican running for U.S. Senate in a state like New York against Kirsten Gillibrand, or a Republican that may want to run in a purple state, or a Republican that's running for president. What would you say in terms of messaging? Have you found the uh, the Republican messaging on crime, inflation, and the border to be effective, or do they need to tweak that message a little bit? Well, for the state gubernatorial race, I think it was very effective. I mean, the very best they could in the environment we have. Usually, Republicans get drubbed, killed, fifteen, twenty points in New York. But overall, I think the messaging was right. I think what. You know, the overall effect that we had over the last two years in New York State, and this is kind of strange in one sense, about 500,000 people left New York since COVID over the last two years, 500,000. These people went for greener pastures. They left because of crime, inflation, school lockdowns, all the stuff that made the people say, I want the hell out of New York State. Those 500,000 that left went to Florida, went to free estates. Those 500,000 would have been GOP voters, right? They 
Instead, they packed up, and who gets to, now? Who got the votes? DeSantis. He won by 18, 17 vote points. Meanwhile, we don't even. Have, I don't think we. Have, I don't think the GOP has enough votes now anymore. We got drubbed so bad in the city that it's almost impossible to find. But well, here's the other, here's the other thing. Twice now. People have come up with millions of dollars to say, we want you to become rent-a-wreck Democrats. We want you to convert over to the Democratic Party. And other Republicans supported that. They're not coming back. It's lunacy. Oh, I'm going to vote for a Democrat one time, and then I'm going to come back to the Republican Party. That's not shown in the rolls. That's that's basically abdicating, waving a white flag, saying we can't win. So why not be a moderate Democrat, become a rent a wreck Democrat? How how idiot have you ever heard of a party doing that before? <laughs> well, it certainly doesn't strike me as effective. So, Adam, given what you're saying, uh, which is that uh, there's not enough Republican voters for Republicans to win elections. And given what Curtis is saying about the futility of uh, moderates switching to the Democratic Party just to pick moderate Democratic nominees. What does that say about the future electoral prospects of the New York GOP? Should they just throw in the, the towel, wave the white flag, as Curtis says? Or how do the Republicans be competitive? Competitive in blue states going forward. Somehow, the attraction, the great experiment of Manhattan, New York, New York City, will lure people back. It already is luring people back. I mean, the city's popping, right? The city has all sorts of attraction now. It is a city, but still mentally ill people on every other block in New York, and there's crime all over. So. That needs to be taken care of, and people will get back to some normalcy of voting. So, because yesterday I was like, a bunch of people were like, "Hey, good luck." I said, "Where are you? I'm in Florida. I thought you lived in New York. Where are? You? Good luck. Where are you? Vote today? No, I, I, I re-registered in Florida. So I'm like, there's too many people in Florida still, and they're old friends of mine. They're not here anymore, voting. So, attraction will lure people back to New York. We'll get more voters here. I mean, if you look at the tickets across New York, I think we picked up four congressional seats, maybe five by the time it's done. So the votes are there. It's just we can't, the pounding we took, and again, the five boroughs, and the little numbers we need to get just to just the bloodbath mm-hmm. we take in New York City as a GOP. It's just too much to overcome. The rest we're going to go live to Baltimore in a second, but I know Letitia wanted to weigh yeah, in. I think maybe it's time for nonpartisan elections in this city. Uh, yeah, and how? And how? I, I mean, that'll bring the GOP back. A- Adam, uh, what about that? I mean, uh, I think a lot of Republicans, uh, they've resisted uh, the call for nonpartisan elections. And I know Curtis has been vocal on that. I certainly have. And Letitia has. Is that something that you think uh, Republicans have opposed at their own peril? Maybe that's a good answer for a state for a state like New York. I mean, just can't get past the one party system mm-hmm. in New York that just drubs us, that just can bombard the city and just guaranteed votes the way they do. That we, you know, it's almost how do you overcome such, you know, massive dumpings of votes? Right. When, uh, he, starts uh, the, when he starts the night at about nine thirty, and you right away you're down three, four hundred thousand votes. Adam Weiss, uh, AMWPR, thanks so much. We'll be checking in with you uh, as we uh, start the 2024 campaign, which seems to be starting on Tuesday. Thanks a lot. Thank you, man.
Uh, we're going to go live to Baltimore. Very excited to be able to uh, chat with uh, my colleague at WCBM, Sean Casey. He is the co-host of the Morning Drive with Casey and Elliot, program director of Talk Radio 680 WCBM, and also host of the podcast, The Sean Casey Show. Uh, Sean, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to help start uh, so many Marylanders Day. How are you feeling about the uh, election results coming out of Maryland? Maryland? one of the states that went from red to blue. You had a Republican governor, Larry Hogan, uh, but apparently the governor's mansion is back in Democratic hands. Is that right? Uh, that is right. Uh, apparently. Uh, good morning, Frank. Thanks morning. for having us on here this morning. I know you've been uh, doing yeoman's work all morning long, so we appreciate the coverage, and thanks so much for that. Yeah, you start in Maryland, which is uh, actually a blue state, uh, and occasionally we get a Republican governor when Democrats run really bad candidates. Hmm. Um, but at this point, it's looking as if Westmore is going to be the first black governor uh, in the state of Maryland. Uh, Dan Cox has not conceded uh, the election as of yet. He's still waiting for all the votes to be counted, but uh, he has nearly a 20-point uh, you know, lead to, to overcome. So uh, the, the good news is for Republicans, it looks like we may pick up a congressional seat in CD6 with uh, Neil Parrott over the uh, multimillionaire David Trone. Uh, and Andy Harris has won re-election in, in the first congressional district. So, uh, And a couple other congressional districts in CD2 and CD3. Uh, the uh, Republican only lost by 10 points. So that's a, that's a small victory for Republicans sure. in the state of Maryland. You know, a lot of Republicans always look to states like Massachusetts, which also now has a Democratic governor, uh, states like Maryland, and say, how do Republicans get elected statewide in these blue states? What did Larry Hogan do right in Maryland uh, and I guess the same question could be asked of Charlie Baker in Massachusetts, that Republicans running in states like uh, New York, for instance, seem not to be able to be able to do. Well, I think the things that uh, that Larry Hogan did right to get elected in the first place was he built, he was a businessman, he built a, something called Change Maryland, he got a lot of grassroots support, uh, and he really ran as a, a Democrat light, not a, not a conservative Republican in a state that is uh, largely blue statewide. But uh, that's how he got elected, and of course in his first term he was fairly popular. Uh, and then of course in the second term we had all the lockdowns and the mandates and so on and so forth, and that turned a lot of Republicans against Larry Hogan, and that's the reason why Dan Cox uh, ended up with the uh, with the primary mm. nomination over the hand-picked Kelly Schultz uh, of Larry Hogan. So there's there's going to be some soul-searching going on in the Maryland Republican Party. The thing that, that Larry didn't do was to build a deep bench here in Maryland, uh, and uh, there's going to be there's a rift going on in the Maryland Republican Party right now that they're going to have to resolve some of these issues. A lot of Republicans are blaming Trump for getting involved in some of these primaries and using his influence with primary voters to uh, have the candidate that was least electable get nominated and thereby not get elected. And Maryland is one of the states that they point to. Obviously, it's very easy to Monday morning quarterback and say woulda, coulda, shoulda. But if the Republicans had nominated a candidate that was a bit more Hogan-esque and a little less Trumpian, would we have seen a different result tonight or last night? Yeah, it's hard to say. It's because even though everybody likes to nationalize politics, uh, politics is always local. You're dealing with a two-to-one Democrat registration anyway in the state of Maryland. You're dealing with uh, largely negative media coverage of, uh, of Republicans. It doesn't matter who the nominee would be, whether it was going to be Kelly Schultz or Dan Cox. Rather, the um, the media would not have treated uh, them the same. Uh, I think it's woulda, coulda, shoulda. I just think that going forward, I mean, we're going to have to look at uh, nominating people that can – 
uh, you know, that can win statewide, and, and I think they have to be supported by the Republican Party. Here's what happened in the state. Larry Hogan went around calling big donors and telling them not to contribute to Dan Cox. So the mm. big donors sat out this campaign in Maryland, and Dan Cox didn't have the money uh, to compete with the Westmore and the Democrat machine. Uh, last question, Sean, and we've been talking with Sean Casey. He's the co-host of The Morning Drive with Casey and Elliot on uh, 680 WCBM. Uh, we've seen a whole bunch of districts and a whole bunch of states in which Democrats uh, campaigned for and spent money on the candidate that they felt was the least electable, and in some cases that was the Trumpian candidate. Was Cox one of those candidates that Democrats tried to put the finger on the scale for and aid in the Republican primary in Maryland? Yes, they did. They spent a lot of money during the primary run to get Dan Cox, uh, you know, elected over Kelly Schultz. Uh, but it's still at the same time, it's the Republican base. It was a Republican primary uh, that turned out. And the Republican base, by the way, in the state of Maryland is a Trump voting base. They mm. um, they support Donald Trump over Larry Hogan in this state uh, by about uh, almost two to one. Uh, so even though Hogan was a popular uh, governor for the statewide uh, party politics, for Republicans in the state, it was it was Trump and Cox. All right. Uh, Sean Casey, it's a real treat to be on WCBM. It's great to talk with you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Frank. Thank you. Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. You know, Curtis uh, Curtis Lee was here. Letitia Romaro was here. That, that problem that he just outlined seems to be a problem in a lot of bluish states around the country, which is the base, the uh, primary voting base of the GOP is very Trumpian. But in order to win in the general election, you need to find a way to appeal to Democrats and independents. Is there a way to do both? Is there a way to win the primary? You make it too simple. I mean, look at Oz and Federer. Mm -hmm. Come on. People hated Oz. He was a carpetbagger. He was uh, obnoxious, uh, you know, omnipotent. You get a guy with Fetterman, he comes out, you know, he's got the hoodie on, even though he's a rich kid, he plays the game. You said there were no AOC candidates? What the hell is he? He's more AOC than AOC. (laughs) Fetterman is AOC, and he beats Oz, even after that disastrous debate performance. The voters were looking at it and say, we don't like this guy, Oz. He's just pretend. He's the kind of guy... You'd be eating food, and he would reach in and pull a piece of food out of your mouth. <laughs> That's not good for you. I, I think he actually did that to Rudy Giuliani at a recent dinner. Good I think up. Rudy ordered He's a that steak. kind of a yeah. person. Uh, that's very interesting. Uh, what's your takeaway on the future of uh, of the GOP, Letitia? How do they compete in blue states? Well, I I think that we should start talking about nonpartisan elections in some of these stranglehold blue states where there's just no shot. Um, but I think that we're starting to see it now. We're seeing um, the GOP becoming more like the everyday working man. We are, you know, we're representing the working class. We're representing single parents. We're representing the minorities. Um, so we're going back to, if you will, to our roots, to our Lincoln roots, mm. you know. And um, we're starting to connect with people in that way. And quite frankly, I think the Democrats are going to do it to themselves. Now, having said that, um, with their wokeism, they're going to they're going to help us to you know get more people on board. But having said that, I think also the GOP has to recognize that we're ancient. 
and we need to get some more young people into this, you know, into the, the fold here. The problem is, is that young people are, are very entitled and they want a lot of things for free. And that's not what the GOP is historically. The headline about. in today's front page of the Washington Post today is Democrats defy expectations. Is that accurate? Oh, doggone well. I mean, you would have thought <laughs> the red tsunami is going to wipe them all away and that Joe Biden will be forced to live the next two years in the basement in his Washington, uh, Delaware shore home. It's not the case. Uh, and again, you, you could say Trump played a role in it. You could say Biden played a role in it. Every state is different. Mm-hmm. Every state has their own uniquenesses, as I said. Look at Fetterman and Oz. That's a perfect example. The people in Pennsylvania, they just didn't like Oz. Because uh, why other, what other reason other than Oprah endorsing Fetterman, right? <laughs> yeah. and maybe it is the Oprah effect. 800-848-9222. As we give uh, callers an opportunity to weigh in, Al is in Huntington. Al, you're on with Curtis Lewa, Leticia Romaro, and Frank Morano. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. How are you? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm in the Red District. I'm in Huntington. Uh, I've met you guys before, and I've called before. But when you, the question was like, how are you going to are you going to win red in a predominantly blue state? Well, I tell you, all politics are local. I'm just repeating what you guys said, and uh, exactly to the point that uh, you guys were talking about. In my district, it just separates the blue and the red a little more. I was just recently on one of these uh, real estate websites, and I see the disparity in the prices of homes. Uh, from now as opposed to a few years ago. So if you're predominantly blue, you're going to stay in your blue uh, in your blue domain. You're going to go focus on one or two issues. Out here in the red districts, we're focusing on family. We're focusing on working class, you know, paying the mortgage and living our little, uh, little four, mm. uh, four walls on the roof. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Al. I'm not sure what we would have to add there, but uh, it's difficult to argue that people are, to some extent, self-segregating. Republicans moving into other Republican areas and uh, Democrats doing the same thing. Joe is in Florida. Hello there, Joe. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm calling just north of Tampa, about an hour north of Tampa. And I, I think that uh, DeSantis is young enough to let Trump put in his first four years, and then DeSantis come up right behind him and put in an eight. Yeah, I guess the question, Joe, is one, could Trump win a general election in the current climate? And uh, two, how do Republicans feel about uh, a Trump versus DeSantis uh, matchup? What, what about that? I've heard that from a lot of people, that DeSantis is only in his 40s. He should let have Trump uh, have one more bite at the apple. Yeah, I think that, first of all, we need to uh, change the narrative here, the Republicans, and, uh, you know, dispute what the what was it Washington Times said, um, that the, the, the Democrats held us back. We did great. We, you know, if we controlled the House and the Senate, then we achieved our ultimate job. Okay, so forget that about us uh, not doing such a great job. Number two is I do think that DeSantis is going to let Trump win. I think that Trump will pick him as his running mate because there's nowhere else to go. And DeSantis is a smart guy. He didn't do what he did, get to where he is by being stupid. He knows he can't beat Trump, so he's going to. Let that happen, and then he'll come right right around, and people will love him for it. Well, I disagree. I think it'll never get be- any better for DeSantis. It'll only get worse, and he's got to look at Chris Christie. 
when the Iowa farmers came to Drum Thwack and knocked on the door, please run, we'll, we'll fund you. And he hesitated, and he didn't run. That was his time, and that, that ship sailed by. This is DeSantis's time. It'll never get any better for him. It'll only get worse. Mm-hmm. When you're that high up, they knock you down. There are people who are going to be gunning for him, and Democrats will be gunning for him. So I think the time to go is now. Whether he can beat Trump or not, we'll see. But the point is, remember what happened with Chris Christie. He stepped in, and he thought that Romney would take him on as vice president. And then what happened? Brian. Well, Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie, you cannot compare the two. I'm sorry. Well, remember, okay. Chris Christie was Donald Trump before Donald Trump. Yeah, but Chris Christie is also. Right. Yeah, well. I got plenty to say about Chris Christie, but I won't. And a lot of folks are talking about Christie. Well, I don't know about a lot of folks, but at least Christie is talking about himself as a Republican presidential candidate. You see that going anywhere, or has that ship totally sunk? No. He had a prime opportunity back then. Remember, he was Trump before there was Trump. Exactly. And they were begging him to run. And for whatever reason, he decided not. Let's, right. let's remember that Chris Christie gave bail reform to New Jersey, the first state to do it. So absolutely not. Chris Christie cannot run for anything Republican. He should become a Democrat. Well, at least in New Jersey, uh, the voters got to vote on bail reform, unlike in New York, where it was uh, crammed down the voters' throats by the legislature. Evelyn is in Bayonne. Hello, Evelyn. Good morning, Frank. You know that I have a tremendous amount of respect for you and also for Curtis, and it's good to hear the two of you on the same show together. Um, I have a question for Curtis. About a year ago, he was on with Mark Salzberg, and they advised me to stay out of New York, not to take a chance. I usually visit the Strand Bookstore, and I'd say I spend about $3,000 a year as a tourist in New York after working there for so long. Has Curtis changed his mind now that Kathy uh, Crime Wave Hochul is in charge? No, I'd say uh, stay out of New York City. Do yourself a solid. There's nothing here that has gotten any safer. In fact, it's gotten worse. Uh, It's worse than it was during de Blasio. So you have all these emotionally disturbed persons. I call it stranger danger. Uh, Unexpectedly, out of nowhere, they just attack people because they, they should be in a hospital. Uh, shame on uh, Andrew Cuomo, who's trying to resurrect himself. When he got elected, there were 30,000 state beds. Uh, by the time he had to leave, there were 3,000. And there, there's a guy. There's a, hey, what happened to no cash bail? Oh, mm. you know, the crime is that. You're responsible for that. <laughs> you were the author. You signed it. These people think we're stupid that we're going to forget. Well, this is one person who's never forget. Stay in Bayonne. It's not safe yet to come here. Remember that Filipino nurse from Bayonne. Remember what happened to her? Yes, Th- I do. Okay. Thank you, Evelyn. All right. Uh, we're going to give people an opportunity to weigh in for 15 seconds. You can say whatever you want for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. want to thank uh, Curtis Sliwa and Letitia Romaro for uh, joining me for the hour. You can hear Curtis again around noon um, and on WABC in New York or all around the world at WABCradio.com or the 19 out of 24 hours a day that he's on on the weekend. Uh, anything else people should know about what you're doing, Curtis? 
WABC, always broadcasting yeah, thirty. Sure. Leticia, what are you up to these um, days? So I have a podcast called The Right Stuff at 7 p.m. on uh, Rumble and live on Facebook every Tuesday with my daughter, comedian Jen, where we look back at the week's news and we find the humor in it. And so we have a lot of laughs. So everybody tune in, though, tonight because we have a special edition post-election. So how do folks find that on Rumble? Uh, Rumble, it's called Right Stuff, R-I-G-H-T-S-T-U-F-F, um, and just... Uh, search it and you'll find it. Uh, like us, follow us, and then you'll get notifications. And you can live and comment. 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. 800-848-9222. Six open lines. Say whatever you like for 15 seconds straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Takeaways from today's show, uh, today's election analysis, I should say, is that the Republicans will control the House of Representatives. It is not clear what party will control the U.S. Senate. All indications are uh, that we are headed towards a runoff in Georgia on December 6th, which could be uh, determinative of which party controls the Senate. Now, it may not be. We're still waiting on uh, the final result in Nevada, where the Republican candidate, Luxalt, has uh, has taken a lead. And we're waiting on further results from Arizona, where the Democratic candidate is in, is in the lead. So uh, still too close to tell in Nevada and still too close to tell in Arizona. It looks like uh, Georgia is heading to a runoff on December 6th. If the, the whole Senate does come down... To Georgia, that will be the most expensive Senate election in history. Mark my words. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. As far as governor races go, uh, a lot of key victories for the Republicans. Uh, The Republicans won in Texas, won overwhelmingly in Florida. A big victory in Arkansas for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. A lot of people view her as one of the rising stars of the GOP. Democrats winning back uh, the governor's mansion in Maryland and in Massachusetts and uh, holding on to the governor's chair in New York. Without further ado, time for you to be heard for 15 seconds. The other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Roger. I know know everybody wants Congress to get stuff done. But after four years of investigations, it's time now that the general public be educated about the other side of the story. We should keep the January 6th thing going, the other side of the story. Run! Curtis, the, the re, Curtis's comments about uh, Fetterman and Joe Biden being handicapped, keep talking like that. That's what, that's what puts people, old people, in the ballot box to vote against the republic scum. And Reagan's the one who closed down the mental institutes. So- e. Frank! Yes, uh, 
Gen Z's, generation-wise, this is a 52-year-old Generation X who's still pumping the vote. And I wonder if Lee Zeldin is still hoping for a miracle with... David! If Georgia goes to a runoff, it should be decided by a swimsuit competition and a bologna sandwich eating contest. And finally, Jimmy... Oh, good. I'm glad we got that. And some things change. Elections may bring different results, but we'll always have that guy. All right. Hey, this has been a lot of fun. If you want to stay in touch, you can email me, uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com, or find me on Twitter, at Frank Morano. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Very little politics tomorrow. I hope everybody got it out of their system today. Obviously, if there's news, we'll bring it to you. Some great coverage on this station coming up in just a moment. Frank Morano, good day.